Hello, hello. Welcome to the Eddie Conversation Podcast. My name is Eddie V. Hill, and I am your host. Uh, this is episode number 49, and uh, joining me today is Hannah Wu. Hello. Hello. Thanks for being here. Oh, of course. Coming to this nice cabin environment that we're chilling in right now. That's pretty sweet. Yes. I have moved again. I don't know. I haven't really... Whatever. That's, okay. I... That's... Beside we'll the point. <laughs> um, yeah, this is, uh, yeah, thanks. Okay. Now I just jump right into talking a little bit about you mm-hmm. to context. Who is Hannah Wu is the question. Um, I think of you as an actor. Yes. Uh, would you like to ex- expand on what else? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I would say mainly um, I am an actor. Right now, uh, I used to be a therapist. I worked as a psychotherapist specializing in trauma. Um, And then I quit all of that uh, to pursue acting. And I've been doing it for about five years now. (laughs) She's playing records while she's speaking very... uh, And also, um, I see myself as now a um, martial artist. I've been training in Wushu, which is Chinese Kung Fu, for the past... Three and a half years now. Nice. So it's it's become a lifestyle. And yeah, I think uh, I kind of sort of live life right now incorporating all three of those. You know, therapy, wellness, mental health, acting, storytelling, and kung fu. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> That's Hannah Wu, everybody. All right. So you mentioned... Um, Therapy, therapist. Mm-hmm. What, what, r- remind me again, because I was playing with the chords, what, what field specifically? You said psychotherapy? or what? Had, uh, you... Yeah, I mean, psychotherapy is sort of the general. I have my license in uh, marriage and family therapy. Mm-hmm. But funnily enough, I didn't do any couples counseling or much family. I, I mainly worked with individuals, uh, adults, teens, and kids. And I did a lot of work in trauma in gender-based violence, so sexual assault and, um, you know, uh, abuse in relationships. So Right. Intense stuff. Yes. Okay. So we'll, we'll keep that in the back of our minds as we talk through everything else. Okay. So let's start with the, the nice easy stuff here. <laughs> Before we get Hannah so Wu. <laughs> Hannah Wu. Um... I haven't seen you since potentially we were doing a little bit of pro, like a little promo shoot mm-hmm. for a, a little movie, just so I can, you know, plug from the beginning. Uh, it's what's on the inside was mm-hmm. my feature direct, directorial debut. Yes. You acted in that. I did. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it was a very small cast and you were like one of four main actors mm-hmm. and, uh, this was um, back before you went SAG. It was like right before you went SAG right after, essentially. I f- or feel like that was the case. Yeah, it was pretty it, soon after. I feel like time now just doesn't really exist for me. So I'm like, I don't know. Like, but okay. Yeah. Wow. So that was before, <laughs> before I joined SAG. <laughs> yeah. So it was, it was before you joined SAG. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was my first year in Los Angeles. And I was, I was plugging away at trying to get trying to get this crazy thing done and it was lovely having you and i know and i know 
You still have this on your Instagram profile too, where you have your description as therapist turned actor. Yeah. And I remember that grabbed me because uh, th- our movie was about uh, a life coach and not that life coaching life coach isn't a therapist mm-hmm. but there is some overlap yeah. on uh handling and interacting with individuals so i'm mm-hmm. like oh my gosh she could be an a per you know that that was a awesome cool thing that i yeah i'm, I'm just yes that was that what <clears throat> just just for funsies for me because i know this movie <laughs> was a super tiny movie I think back on it and even just wonder how it happened at all and how I got through it, like how this movie even exists. But from your perspective, uh, how was it for you? <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, so Eddie reached out to me through social media, you know, and we struck up a conversation and he um, asked me to audition. And so it was one of those things where it's always like, wow, you know, you're, as an actor, especially starting out, you're trying to get your name and your face out there. You're trying to get to know people. And to have people sort of see something in you, um, whether that is like a little something in your bio or whatever it is, um, and then reach out to you, that always means a lot. So um, for me, it was like, wow, the opportunity to audition um, for an indie feature and um, I had read for another part originally. Um, mm. And so, and then Eddie invited me to audition for the role of Susan. Um, and then after uh, I sent in those self-tapes, he wanted to meet in person. And I think I really got this sense that um, Eddie wanted to get to know me, like more than just like as an actor, like for his project, like he wanted to get to know me as a person and he wanted to see if that was like a good fit. And um, I think I really appreciated that just even within that first meeting because we met up at a Starbucks and um, we just talked about project. We talked about like a little bit about our stories um, and, and our approaches for like film and being on set. And I thought that that was such a great way to get started on a project to get to know someone um in that way someone that you're going to be like helping to tell his story you know so um and then filming was a lot of fun we would have like rehearsals Mm -hmm. um and then we would get together and we would like just knock this thing out and the thing that I love about indie filmmaking is just like you just get in there and you like crunch it out and there's so many things like happening but you just like all work together to make it happen and um, it was really a lot of fun because it felt like a very supportive and safe set. So I really enjoyed my time. Working okay, on cool. It. <laughs> Thank you. I'm glad she said that and not, um, that, and not. <laughs> that it was a horrible experience. All right. Uh, no, cool. I recall the coffee, the coffee uh, meetup as well. Mostly my takeaway from that is I remember like I showed up and I'm just like, you know, if, I, she seems like a great person in every interaction. Like I, I kind of had a somehow, I don't know. For me, this was a very specific little project that, um, yeah, you really need people that fit personality-wise with. I mean, as a director too, that's kind of the objective is you just want people that you want to work with and that kind of get you and you get each other. Mm-hmm. Because when I'm on set a lot. I like to speak in shorthand methods or like I'll just kind of 
half, finish half sentences and usually the actor is able to pick up what I'm trying to say. <laughs> so stuff like that is super helpful. But I remember at the end um, too, like I showed up thinking, all right, like I really want to cast Hannah and unless she says something terribly wrong, <laughs> the plan was to just ask you on the spot yeah. if you would be if you, like, it's like I want to cast you mm-hmm. and, you know, put the ball in your court, if you will. Luckily, it's worked out. Uh, and um, I've, yeah, I've enjoyed uh, keeping in contact and it's, mm-hmm. I can, I don't know. And yeah, because that's my thing too is, yeah, it's great to, yeah, it's great to be, but that came out just last been, I don't know how long it's been. Time is a thing. No, time I just don't know anymore. Um, but yeah, it it came out this year. Okay, it came out this year. This year. <laughs> I thought it came out last year. Uh, no, it came out in April uh, of 2021. Um, mm-hmm. We filmed at the end of 2019. <laughs> okay. Either way. Yeah. Uh, and that's always such a. It's a big deal to finish something and have it come out. Like, that's a big deal. I agree. Deal. I agree. Thank mm-hmm. you. It's always important to celebrate. Um, <laughs> let's let's continue on. <laughs> so, I don't know. I don't recall what else I had to say. What I, what I, okay, no, what I was going to say was I did recall that y- I said I wanted to cast you. And mm-hmm. I remember there was like a little bit of surprise on your end where it didn't seem like that's what you're expecting me to say. <laughs> and I was like, oh, cool. I was like, yeah, I, I kind of half assumed, like, I don't know how often or even these days or back then or time is irrelevant, but like meetups with creatives, I don't know how often that's a thing and, and how often those kind of end in spider, but nothing really comes of it. But that's kind of the vibe that I got was like, oh, this isn't normally how these things end. It's like, but I don't know. I Which think end? for me, you know, like I... Well, number one, like I, I don't typically meet someone. Um, like I mean, I have I've had coffee a couple of times with um, other creatives for like kind of a potential thing. So I think going in, I never usually expect. You know, I I think as an actor, you just sort of have to be very very open and go in without any expectations for outcomes and so I think that's just always how I sort of approach things because usually it's like you know to get cast it's it's the typical way you submit or they ask you for an audition and then through for me it's been mostly through like emails you know like Mm -hmm. okay either I don't hear anything or yeah um I I get an offer through an email yeah because I think that's that's the more traditional route for sure uh-huh. of, hey, let's have coffee. Let's feel this out. But I need to, I need to think on it because I'm talking to 20 other people or what. I don't know how. how Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, well, this was great. I'll get back to you. Mm-hmm. I don't want to rush into any decisions. Mm-hmm. However, I don't know. I lean into gut a lot for sure. And uh, I mean, that's kind of the job of the director, too, is like make decisions, make them quick mm-hmm. and trust the gut. And mm-hmm. then, yeah, so. I don't know why more people don't know. Yeah, which I, well, I I appreciate that, though. You know, I really appreciated that because the communication, with, and it's been kind of this way, it was this way throughout the whole production where, you know, the communication was very clear. You know, I wasn't left, like, wondering or I wasn't, I didn't, I never felt like I couldn't, like, say where I was at also or, you know, like, w- where we couldn't talk it out. And I think that was also, yeah. Um, sometimes it's 
it's like the freedom to be able to communicate and to say where I was at was also mm -hmm. very cool. Yes. And since, since, I don't know, since we're on the topic of, uh, it's what's on the inside really quick. And I feel like I've gotten enough distance from it being that we shot it so long ago and it's out and stuff. And I like to, I like to try to break down a little bit of the, uh, like I like the transparency with other creatives that might be listening about, I, it's kind of a little bit of a pet peeve when filmmakers pretend like it was the smoothest project ever and there was no issues whatsoever mm -hmm. and every decision was the most confident decision of my life. <laughs> you know, like all that kind of stuff is like, no, that's not, that's not really, especially in indie. Yeah. There's hurdles everywhere and there's doubt and there's like, am I communicating? Well, so the thing that I want to bring up with you mm -hmm. is that was my first writing my f the first feature that i had written yeah and um <laughs> and the lesson that i came away with was i have since then written with a co-writer mm -hmm. because um i felt going through that process was like there's I, there's lots of holes i saw and there was too much on my plate as a producer director that i didn't really have the energy mm -hmm. to go back and just go into writer mode and fix stuff. So I'm like, it is what it is. I'm going to trust my cast. I can make decisions. I'm mm -hmm. going to trust me as a director. At the end of it all, the issues that came up in writing never quite went away. And they still, they were really hard to work through in the edit and stuff. I'm like, oh, it's mm -hmm. still here. It's still an issue. Mm -hmm. I wish writer Eddie would have solved it. Um, so when it came with directing you, let's say, mm -hmm. um, the character of Susan um, and even like Gary or like they're big character they're big supporting characters that affect our main character a lot but it was vague on what Susan had going on <laughs> in life <laughs> and I remember like early rehearsals were trying to like you were kind of asking about I don't know. We're trying to. I think we're talking about what Susan was up to, what she had going on, and why she was acting certain ways. And yeah. I just didn't really have proper answers. I felt because I hadn't, I didn't, I didn't flesh her out in that way. Oh. So then I'm curious. I don't know if you recall much of the prep or how you handle the situations where maybe you're you're given you're cast in a role that maybe needs a little bit more. Like I don't know how you handle. Um, adding on to uh, a canvas that you've been handed, let's say, a partially painted, yeah. and then the rest is kind of put on you and you're just expected to kind of like make it work. Right. Well, but I think specifically for the role of Susan, I um, there were some things where I was just like, I wasn't really sure what was, like, what was her backstory and how was she taking certain things. And so I think in just like the prep and you know, learning the lines myself and like understanding her scenes. Um, as an actor, I typically do a lot of imagination. So I kind of like make stuff up. Um, and if I really have like a question where it's like, I don't know if, you know, the director is going to have a, um, a thought about this or if, if um, they already have like the answer in their head. So I think um, what was really helpful for me was actually going through those rehearsals. And it's funny to me that like it never came across to me like you didn't have those pieces fleshed out because I felt like you always had the, <laughs> like you always kind of like knew or you, you know, even if you were sort of like when when 
I would ask or when it would just somehow organically come up in the rehearsal, it seemed like even as it came up, you were already thinking through, you know, like, okay, well, what, what is going on here? And what, what is this specific um, aspect of her story? Um, so I always felt like, okay, you, you did always have an answer that gave me something to now put in the scene. Yeah, I, I think I don't disagree. <laughs> I feel like it's it's the uh, the classic collaboration thing where uh, it's helpful for me as a director, especially in my first time tackling that much, where I'm like, all right, great. Like you're bringing ideas to the table. And then once those are placed on the table, it assisted me on kind of jumping from that and either being like, do I like this or do I not like it? And then that kind of, you know, gets all the other thoughts going. And then that creates a, uh, a more confidence on my responses when it's not like you don't have any ideas and you're just like, mm-hmm. hey, neither of us know what's going on here. Uh, it's like, no, you have an idea yeah. and I have an idea. So I gave you the script. You came with something which helped me give you something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's a, yeah, it's kind of, it's, I, and I love that collaboration process. I love like getting to play during rehearsal and be like, oh, this is, maybe it's yeah. not what I was thinking coming in, but like now how do I mm-hmm. incorporate that into my understanding of the character, you know? Right. And I do, I do recall um, definitely being on the verge of floundering at <laughs> certain times. <laughs> and then like, but that's kind of the, the fun part of just filmmaking in the first place and just getting like your reps in and mm-hmm. you become more confident in your instinct and your decisions. Um, but I do recall some stages where I'm just like, an answer is not going to come. And then it comes at the last second and then mm-hmm. I say it and then it's mm-hmm. like, oh, <laughs> my God, oh my gosh, yeah. I almost lost the faith of my entire cast and crew that I was close (laughs) but well I think that's really interesting too because you you talked about how you know as a filmmaker especially indie filmmaking like a lot of times you almost feel like you can't talk about the challenges or talk about like how hard that process was I think it's kind of the same with actors you know where you feel like wow so many actors talk about a role as though they like like they were it and they were, you know, like they were that role and um, they had that confidence the whole way through and they just knew about their character and they just, and for me, like a lot of times it's like, you know, every time that I get a role, there's always a little bit something inside me that's like, can I do this? Can I pull mm-hmm. it off? Like, it, you know, can I do this character justice to what the expectations are you know and and I think I I get that sometimes with certain roles you know we can feel very confident like oh I, I get this role but I don't know more often than not for me maybe because I've done so many like indie roles so like I've, I've gotten I've really been had the privilege of trying multiple different kinds of roles like never typecast really you mm-hmm. know so for me it's always like a little bit of that like floundering like potential like am I going to flounder or am I going to be able to get this and am am I going to be able to pull it off and I think that that's part of what makes filmmaking so exciting you know is the the potential to like fall flat on your face (laughs) but then like to try it and go for it anyway 
Yeah, I think if you're not really, I, I think that's inherent to the process anyway. If if you're the the challenging of thyself and taking stuff you're not comfortable with, is a part of the process, mm-hmm. unfortunately. So therefore, it's going to be there forever, and it's going to be lovely. Lovely, <laughs> so lovely. Becoming the class. What's the quote? It's like uh, becoming uh, be comfortable in the uncomfortable, or whatever the thing is. Like that's kind of mm-hmm. how I see it. Mm-hmm. Is if you're not uncomfortable, then it's just like going through the motion, and it's not interesting. Mm-hmm. Becomes work. <laughs> and I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what I'm saying. Great. (laughs) Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about, I don't know, this was before It's It's on the Inside, I believe, Mm -hmm. Um, but you shot a film in China. Yes. And that was like a, that was pre, it's what's on the inside, right? It was pre what's on the inside. Um, Um, Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I recall... We hadn't really talked too much about it. I remember it coming up on set or something, um, but that I don't. Okay, can you give context on what this is? Because yeah. I remember hearing about how crazy the production was and the working hours, and because <laughs> you're on screen a lot and there's a lot for you to do. But, yeah. Um, what's it called? And do you mind? Can we? Yeah. Can yeah, we talk yeah. About that we one? can talk. Um, so it's called Five Cent Life, and it's um. Basically, the story of Ling Zhao, who is was a political dissident, um, like back in uh, Mao's uh, communist China, um, who ended up being um, imprisoned and executed, basically, because she criticized um, some of the policies of the Communist Party. Um, and so you can imagine that this was um, a very, in, in a lot of ways, it's, it's, quite a controversial story and not that many people really know about it. Um, I certainly had never heard about her before this project, you know, Mm -hmm. um, came to me. And so this was my first, it was my first feature film and then it was my first lead. And so um, going in, like talk about not being sure that I could do it, especially such a role, right? Mm -hmm. So I, um, and we were going to shoot uh, in China. So, like, like being in a different country and shooting this, like, completely challenging, you know, where I felt a lot of pressure to, to like, do justice to this person in history, mm-hmm. um, but also to, um, to, to do it for my director who had really given up and sacrificed a lot of her time and years of her life um, and was taking a big risk in making this film to begin with. And so, um, yeah, we shot, we ended up shooting uh, 27 days in China and it was 14 days straight through. We had uh, a couple days break where we traveled. So we had one day of traveling, we flew to another city in China and then we shot for another 13 days um, and so and for me it was like I was um, because I was the lead I was in almost every scene and I was on almost every day except for one day so it was it was a pretty intense schedule like getting up early in the morning for makeup like my call would be like 4 30 and you know sometimes 4 15 and because you know it would take like 
um, some time sometimes to transform. Mm -hmm. um, not that I was, basically we were being transformed like, or I was being transformed from like ages 16 to 36, yes. essentially. Yes. Yeah. Which is a whole thing on its own. Which is a whole thing <laughs> on its own. Yeah, because I recall watching that. Because I, I, did, I did watch it and it was very cool. And it's quite a, uh, I don't know if the word, uh, what's the word that people use? Um, I mean, it's like it's a it's a it feels like a very large scale production when you watch it because you're in these like incredible locations yeah, and there's locations there's there's quite a um like just a number of cast members sometimes mm -hmm. seemed like a lot of people yeah. with background and stuff yeah. that was going down yeah um, and I still can't find the word I was trying to stall on that <laughs> where you know what's the word when <laughs> Because 27 days is uh, a short amount of time um, for, I mean, it's, it's kind of a decent amount of time for an indie, I'll call it. Yeah. But it's also, uh, they are trying to get a lot done in a little bit of time. Mm -hmm. And the word is on the tip of my tongue, but I'm going to forget it and I'm going to give up on that word. <laughs> so how did this, so it's very cool first feature film you get to be a lead and you're just yeah. like just thrown into it and you have to lifetime, really yeah. yeah so how did that come about like how does that so you were friends with the director or they knew about you or how no did, how did this i go? i had um originally someone had sent me the breakdown on actors access saying you seem like you would be a good fit for this role the thing is that particular role was not the character description was not the description for the actual character so I actually thought I was auditioning for a completely different story completely different character um, and I thought that I was given like you know those dummy sides where it's like it's it's just a scene but it's not the actual scene for the film mm -hmm. um and so i read for it and i got the call back and i came in and i read with um a, another actor and um it really seemed like it seemed like the director and the casting director uh really liked my performance and I got a meeting with the director but at that time like I was still I was still really green you know yeah, yeah. and and usually it's like when you meet with the director you want to like, this is what they tell you right you need to seem like very confident like of course I can do this I will be you know and but I was like I'm, I'm like this swirl scares me <laughs> and you know I I, I but I, I said you know like I would if I got it, like I would work so hard and I would do, I would give everything that I could to be able to play this role. But it, I think I still conveyed like a lot of hesitancy and a lot of self doubt. So in the end, it actually didn't go to me. Um, someone else got the part oh. to begin with. So, um, so I was like, okay, so I, I lost this role. Um, and then a few months later, um, the casting director came back to me and asked me to send in one more tape, which I did. And then they decided to cast me. But what was really interesting is that in between the time that I didn't get the role and then the time that I they offered it to me, um, I had 
worked on another few projects, one of which filmed in Hong Kong. So that was like the first time that I flew out of the country to work for something. Um, and then I did a web series that required a lot of dialogue. So we did like five episodes. It was a kid's table and there was a lot of dialogue, a lot of back and forth. And so in that time, I sort of gained the confidence and the skills, you know, to be able to tackle something like it kind of gave me mm -hmm. the stepping stones to be able to do this. Um, so looking back now, I'm just like, wow, like it, it's really incredible how that happened, you know, and that whole thing where it's like what's meant for you will not go by you, you know, like I feel like I can now look at that experience and be like, no, that's yeah, that's <laughs> that's how it happened. You know, like yeah. somehow I, I don't know, um, but even like at that first table read with the cast, like the director said, you seem different. You seem different than when I had met with you for coffee and mm -hmm. you seem this very unsure. And I was like, yeah, I think I am different. Yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> no, that's, a, uh, that's, no, that's uh, an amazing story. Um, how you weren't ready and then uh, you were ready and it all worked out. Yeah. But so that just straight up just through like, a submission through like actors access that's cool it was just a submission nice you just never know <laughs> yeah How for sure come to you you never know okay and then um let's see i know i want this is kind of more on the story of the movie itself mm -hmm. but i do recall and this was an interesting thing i forget where i heard it if you mentioned this to me directly or if this was through promo of the movie or something but mm -hmm. Uh, the movie takes place in China. Mm -hmm. It's shot in China, but everybody speaks English, yes. right? And that was purposely done, mm -hmm. from my understanding, mm -hmm. uh, because I for, I don't know how this would have come down or who makes a decision or how this happened, but the decision to shoot in English, if I'm correct, was because China... So, they they wouldn't allow the shooting to happen if they wouldn't let the filming happen if it they didn't want it to be mistaken as uh <laughs> they wanted it to be obvious that it's a fiction and this is like a narrative experience or um, how does how does well, that work i mean i think good? there were there were two reasons i think um as was told to me one was that um because this is still a controversial figure um, it was very hard to, like the original script was in Chinese. Mm -hmm. So it was meant to be filmed in Mandarin, um, at the, at, at least at my director's original conception. Um, but it was really, really hard to find, um, native speakers or like actors in China who, would be able to, who were willing to tackle this story because um, they just didn't know how, yeah, um, like China would respond. Like we didn't, we didn't right. know. Um, and so because it was so challenging and also because they wanted to have like a wider audience um, and, you know, like that they just decided like maybe we need to translate this into English and make it with English speaking mm -hmm. 
actors, you know? Um, and so when I came on, like, I didn't know that, like, originally um, it was going to be shot in Mandarin. Okay. Um, but it, what was really interesting about the prep process for it, though, was that, like, because my director wrote the script, right? So she knew this script front and back. She knew it so well. When she was directing me, she would actually say the lines in Mandarin from the original script. And it, the original Mandarin would give me so much more meaning and depth than the include because a lot of times it's like really hard to translate word for word right meaning for meaning from man like any language i'm sure to to another language yeah, like you lose some of that cultural context you lose some of the meaning in the words itself um and so when she said and even though i'm like my my mandarin is not mm-hmm. like nice. great right but still i knew enough where when she said it to me like i was like that's what's behind it. And that was really powerful to experience actually that like to be able to connect with like my mother language in that way that I had lost a lot of, you mm-hmm. know, over, growing up in the United States and not using it. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it, it was interesting because we were telling a very, very Chinese story in English. Um, but because like when we shot the film as well, like there was, it was like sometimes there would be a mix too because there would be Mandarin speakers speaking in the background and a lot of the songs and the chants and the, mm-hmm. you know, like that would be in Mandarin. So it, it was very interesting yeah. like to have that like kind of just coexist in, in the film. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, because I always took it as like, oh, don't worry, China, this is not a documentary because it's controversial mm-hmm. it's like this is obviously it's... some sort of retelling in a way where it's english this is a movie it's not so they're they're i don't know that's kind of how i don't know because i know how much china can can influence um story and like the the higher budget stuff that they want their stuff to open in china and like so i know that's an aspect of the movie biz that i haven't had the chance to really work in but i thought that yeah Either maybe it was just the it's just the I don't know. Yeah. So in some ways, like a lot of us knew going in, like you know that that this was a risk. You know that production could could be shut down. I think some of us like kind of just had that awareness um, because we were shooting in China and using um, like a Chinese crew and a Chinese production company. So I think we kind of knew, but also speaking in English, like it allowed us to be able to film without um because a lot of the crew didn't know like they didn't understand english so they didn't know they didn't know what we were filming really you know and uh, they did i think they did think that we were and it was like we're telling it in a very narrative way you know like not documentary style um so yeah it was there were a lot of complexities going in very interesting Um, yeah Wow. <laughs> well, and even now, I'm just like, you know, I don't know how, I don't know if, you know, I would, if how China would feel about me telling this story now, you know, like, I don't know. So. It's only one way to find out. I'm just going to know. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, that's a whole thing. I, I guess let's jump into a little bit of 
I don't know. It's, it's always a. Can we? What is there to tell on the how you survived that project? How does that? Mm. How did you? How did you do it? How did you? Do it and play all the different ages. Like how did how did you balance all that and what? How did you? Yes, how? <laughs> I don't really know. All I know is that like once we started going, um, I I remember having this thought like, like oh, I can do this because I'm doing it. Um, so going in, I think I really tried to prep myself as much as I could. So like mm-hmm. all these supplements, I had my melatonin, I had my um, Unisom, I had like, so I had like sleep aids, I had like all of these things to try to keep my body healthy, you know, and making sure that I ate the like meals, like all meals of the day. I, I was, so really guarding your physical health. Mm-hmm. Um, it, like that was so important to me. And so like sometimes like, cause because of my schedule every day, like sometimes we would, because we started early. So we would like, um, we would finish around like seven thirty, eight, eight thirty. 30 sometimes, you know, and some of my cast members, um, and the crew would like go out and have dinner together and they would do like these sorts of things. And I just couldn't like I needed to take I knew I needed to take every spare minute you know that I had to decompress or to prep for the next day or to just have like that alone time because I'm also Mm -hmm. extremely I'm an extremely introverted person and so I just I need my alone time and so in a sense I gave up some of that like you know cast camaraderie um, because I just needed to focus and I couldn't break focus. Um, so before we actually went to shoot, I think so much of it was preparation, right? So like bringing all these supplements into China with me and, Mm -hmm. um, but also like making sure that like I had my whole entire script memorized. Like I had, you know, and we had done like, I think we did two, three weeks of like many, many, many rehearsals um, a few weeks before uh, I flew out. So we had those rehearsals. So I knew going in like what the scenes were and what, what I, where I needed to get them to. And then, um, and then, yeah, having like all my scenes, like committed to memory already, like, so that I knew them so that when I got there, cause you know, like, I think like any, any set, and in particular, um, an indie set, um, things come up and there are script changes and then there are like, oh, you got to swap this around. And so you just have to be open and ready for whatever might come up, you know, so that I found that the, the more prepared I was, the more I knew my scenes, my lines, the quicker I could adjust to, like, whatever yeah. needed to be adjusted to. Because you're getting thrown probably a bunch of stuff that has nothing to do with performance, right? It's, like, just uh, logistical switch-ups on, like, we're doing this scene, or we're doing this next instead, or or uh, the blocking adjustments, or this isn't happening, or this character didn't show up, or doing that. Like, I don't know, just the stuff. Right, right, know, right. Well, yeah, there's like, there's all of the technical stuff, and then there's just like, oh, the, something isn't working about this scene, so we need to, you know, and that's, thankfully, like, my director um, and the DP, they were they were very good at 
like problem solving on the spot and saying like, we need right. to change this up. We need to change that up. We need to do this to make it work or this isn't working. Um, well, some of it was performance too, because sure. <laughs> I mean, this was such a hefty role and, you know, even going in, like however prepared I was, like it's still, it was still my first big role. I was still like, uh, can I yeah. do some of these scenes? They're so challenging. Um, I'm, I'm trying to, to uh, not, not I'm, I'm <laughs> trying to imagine too, that you're also playing like different ages throughout the day as well. Like, I don't imagine it's like, or maybe maybe it was luxurious enough where it's like today is just, uh, you said 16 to... To 36. To 36. So, yeah. Well, I there was some luxury in that aspect uh, where they did try to have some of the earlier... Because, like, just in terms of hair and makeup, because we right. had an incredible team... Um, for my teen years, like, they would, because I had to have, like, I had bangs, I had, like, hair extensions for the braids and, and all of that. But for the teen years, they would, like, they would, like, smooth out, like, all of my crow's feet. And they would, like, underneath the wig, they, like, they, they would, like, yank. the They basically gave me, like, a facelift with my hair, right? And then they tied it all the way up and then they put the wig on top of it. Um, and so, like like genuinely like for for the younger years right. like it, it it looked different cuz i look like <laughs> um so i think m there were a few days where it was like some switching back and forth and some you know makeup hair magic going on um but we did have the luxury of just like sticking with like okay this day is going to be all teen or whatever yes and then That's and it. and yeah. then the later like the 30s we're all like basically in the last few days mm -hmm. of shooting. Yeah, because I'm I'm thinking about um, I'm a big fan of Marvel mm -hmm. Studios, mm -hmm. and uh, there's their their recent Disney Plus show WandaVision. I don't know if you watch those shows, but uh, she the the show takes place over like multiple decades. Like they're you know they're flashing back to different yeah. sitcom eras and stuff. And um, why am I forgetting her name? Who plays Wanda? Do you know? Do you know? Even? I didn't watch it. She is an Olsen. Um, Elizabeth, Elizabeth Olsen. <laughs> so uh, she was talking about how I think she was saying that she was down to, she was open to having her hair be the authentic hair that's used in the show. Like she was going to dye her hair or whatever for the mm. thing. Um, but because there were so many hair, because they're jumping decades so often, her hair yeah. varies so much that they, they went wig. Mm -hmm. So that was the only way that they can get the process efficient enough. So I was just mm -hmm. thinking about the indie version of that and how you don't really have necessarily the luxury of a full hair department that's got these, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. It's a little bit different. So I was like, great. It's okay, cool. But yeah, <laughs> well, we did, you know, we had, it's funny, there were some pictures. I don't know. I lost a lot of my pictures because I don't know how to like, keep pictures when I switch phones so I've uh, sadly lost a lot of my behind the scenes photos but there were um you know there would be like a couple of like main people who would did who did the makeup and hair tests and then they would do the initial work in the mornings and then there would be like three 
other hair and makeup artists who would come to set and actually like take care of me yeah. <laughs> yeah, like for the whole day which was so amazing um but yeah sometimes they would have to like do the switch take out this wig or do you know because it, it is it's so much to keep track of and then it's it's challenging to go from like scene to scene if you're you know, like with jumping through time, all of that. Like I was just 36 and I have to be 16 <laughs> with pigtails here or braids. I don't know. You didn't wear pigtails, right? That's What's the difference between pigtails and braids? I do not know. I don't know. The whole point but is, but I had the, the, yes, I yeah. had the, the two. Yeah. I think those yeah. are pigtails too. <laughs> um, okay. Yes. Great. I was going to ask on how much that helps dictate performance too. Or if it gets in the way, like when you have all that stuff going on with your face and they're yanking stuff and they're pulling stuff and they're like, all right, you're a teen. <laughs> and then you got to get out there. <laughs> if it's like, if it's like distracting or if it's like, I don't know how, how that plays or how it's just part of the job, but. Yeah. I mean, in a sense, it's part, it's part of the job. And as it's happening, I guess, I mean, you kind of. It's still movie magic, even though you know how it's happening, you know, you know how it's being done, you know what they're doing um, to you, make you, it you happen. As the, you as the actor. You yeah, yeah. But I feel like even as they're doing it and then you're seeing your face transform or your hair look okay. different, I do feel like that does, it's part of the process of getting you into that character. And then, you know, once you're on set, it's like... Yeah, you have to do your your prep and you got to remember, you know, because you're going to be in your body and in your mind differently as a teen than in your 30s. And so you do have to have that focus. And then sometimes the director helps you, like reminds you and, and brings you there. Mm -hmm. So but I, I feel like all of that helps, you know, like hair, makeup, the location, production design like when you're in that setting like all of it helps you it transports you so that even if there is like a boom here and they're trying to get like the mics going and you know like you you know like okay you have like one part of your mind that's like this is technically what I'm doing and then the other part of your mind that's like this is my character and this is yeah so yeah lots of <laughs> lots of lots of brain activity going yes. on there uh, I was going to say, I guess just to close this off, but I do like, um, I do imagine that location, that the external assistance of the location and just hearing the language actually being in China does, mm -hmm. like if you were trying the same thing in Los Angeles and the whole crew was speaking English mm -hmm. and you can just walk off the set and you're at Starbucks, right? Like that might be be a little bit of a different approach to get you back in the in the zone versus actually being there yeah probably was super super helpful oh for sure because it's also a period piece right so like just even the sets like we shot at some places where like they just have these sets that different productions can mm -hmm. like use and they're like legit they just they look like old china and it's it's very cool and when you see everyone in their costumes and speaking mandarin and like, yeah, it it just kind of takes you. It helps transport you yes. into that setting. It was it was very cool. It was very cool. Quite the experience. Lovely. Yeah, it was <laughs> <cool>. <laughs> it's so weird to go back and talk about it because we shot it in 2018. 
Yeah. That's what it feels like. Nice. It's been a bit. Ago, lifetimes it's ago. Been a, been a bit. However, <laughs> it's not that really that long ago. Too. I know. It's true. <laughs> All right. I'm looking at my list here, mm-hmm. and I am wondering. Um, let's stick with acting for a little bit longer. Here. <laughs> okay. For other actors out there, um, like you did a whole profession shift. Mm-hmm. Um, switching into acting um, and now you've been in it for a while like I mentioned uh, or we've talked about you've done plenty of non-union indie stuff and you've jumped to SAG and just kind of and we're, we're about to jump into a whole another year too mm-hmm. so 2022 is right mm-hmm. around the corner um, how has your approach changed uh, mm. since jumping in? How how was it in the beginning? And then, like, what what are you doing? Like, <clears throat> the approaching acting just in general. Like, yeah. jumping into uh, and looking at next year, let's just say, is a yes. vague topic. So, yeah, when I first started, I was, because I was coming into it late, um, I just kind of, I was like, I have no time to waste. I just got to try it and I just got to do it. And I got to be open to whatever to, to learn this craft and to learn what I'm supposed to do. And so even as I started my first acting classes, I was on Actors Access submitting, doing non, uh, non-union projects, um, doing a lot of like student film projects and almost everything that was offered to me, like I would just, I would, I would do. Um, and I think I learned a lot through doing, and I think the attitude that I have and the feeling that I had towards acting and even the actor's life, um, because even though I was experiencing still plenty of rejection, I was just so in awe of the entire process and so in awe that I could find, I could actually get to do it. Like I never thought that I would be acting that every tiny little thing I was like, (gasps) Like, uh, you know, like I was just like, and, and then I would, I would, I would post about it like this, I auditioned here and I had these thoughts about it. And, I, and, and now looking back, I'm like, I'm sure the stuff that I posted was so like signaled to like the veterans, like how green I was. But right. honestly, I, I kind of missed that because I was just so, I was just so enamored with everything about it. And I miss feeling that kind of joy, you know? Yeah. I, I mean, you, I, I think, I, no, I, I, is, is there still, can you, I think you could still feel that, right? You can still be enamored. <laughs> you just don't have to post about yes, it and reveal. You don't have to reveal every but, single thought and no. every single rejection and every single, um, but I think like I, there was an innocence about it. Yeah. You know, that. Now it's just another trip to Netflix. No big deal. sort yeah. of lose. Well, I mean, because I think also during that time I had a lot, I felt like I had a lot more control because I didn't have reps yet. I was submitting myself and I was, um, you know, just doing whatever. And, and I could, it felt like I had, 
like I was doing, I was taking the steps and the necessary action to further my career in whatever way, right? So I was taking mm-hmm. classes, I was doing, and it, it, it seemed like every single project that I did would give me a new skill that I could bring into the next thing, into the next thing, into the next. So I could see like this, at least movement, this trajectory um, until the time where I joined SAG. And then you get to a place where you mm. realize like you, you're, um, you realize like what like the bigger industry that's not indie and that as much as I like adore indie filmmaking there is this sense that like the industry at large doesn't give you credit for the things that you do like unless it's like network or studio like those are the big things and those are the the things that count and so I think as when you're hit with that as an actor Mm. and you feel like well I've I've had these amazing experiences but none of it seems to count but it's like how many guest star roles have you done or whatever like that zero no like you know like and and then you're just like oh man I can't even get into these casting offices much less get Um, cast in like a co-star role and I think it's just like it the reality I think of the industry and how it works can be like it's it's, you know it's kind of like a bucket of ice water dumped on your enthusiasm because it's weird I mean it's weird Mm -hmm. because it's the same way on the crew side kind Mm -hmm. of Mm -hmm. like I think about being a script supervisor let's say yeah and uh, in the indie world crazy and you're like wait we're shooting with three cameras and everybody's like hustling through the day and you're like, we're trying to cram this stuff in we're shooting 12 15 pages or, you know whatever the crazy thing is and then uh i don't know I, I don't know like there's that potential doubt of like well union world like you can't like you can't work union jobs because you gotta but union jobs are easier because you're shooting with one camera and you're shooting five pages that day and you're spending five hours setting up for this one shot mm. versus the indie, like you're just blasting through 40 setups in a day. Mm-hmm. So it's like, actually it gets easier as you go up. And like as an actor, mm. um, I mean, the pressure, the pressure is more because there's more money at stake and all that kind of stuff. But yeah. um, like, I think about the guest star, co-star, like I always have to get explained like what the difference is between like how many lines does the co-star have? Mm. How many lines does the guest star have? recurring supporting lead yeah. and then i'm like well if you 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 you'd had the you've led a feature film and you've worked this many hours you've done this many scenes and you did it amazingly you can look at the stuff and it's like well but we don't trust you to say two lines on camera in this one scene you know it's kind of weird yeah, it's yeah so it's it's hard because like you know that that's the reality that you're dealing with, right? So mm-hmm. that that's this is the industry as it is right now. And one of the most challenging things, and this is where like this is where you know the mindset comes into play, where you have to understand and you have to know that like you have to be able to separate yourself and your worth and your dreams and your goals and your esteem from like what sometimes from how it seems like the industry values you you know so that almost takes 
more of the work. Cause I think, you know, all of us, like there have been exceptions where some people are able to like, you know, they hit something, they get that break and then they're able to, you know, but for a lot mm -hmm. of us, it's, we might hit a stride and we might get land like a, a really cool project and then, you know, hit those, hit those ceilings, you know, and you don't know how to break through. And so I think even after I did that film, um, in China, like, then I just like, couldn't, I had such a hard time, like finding reps. Um, and I'm really grateful for my team now, but I had such a hard time, like finding reps that felt like, that I felt like I gelled with. And then, um, and then getting into those rooms and then like, all of that. So I went through and then COVID happened and yeah. then the industry yeah. shut down, you know? So it felt like any momentum that I had go coming, like I had started to build, like just sort of like, yeah. and then you're just like, so, so having to like start over again um, and build new connections and try to get into casting offices all over again. So, you know, like it's really challenging. It's really humbling. Um, Cause you hear about those stories where it's like, Oh, actors don't, like they book one thing and then they don't work again for another two years. And you're like, that's not going to be me. And it's like, oh no, it's me. It's me too. <laughs> uh, yeah. you know? and, and you have to like ground yourself in, you know, your own self-worth and knowing that like you are not what you book basically. Right. You are not those. Um, yeah. Can you talk about, finding your reps and getting your team assembled how to how that how that played and because i'm always very curious about cause, um the imp man manager and agent is mm -hmm. that specifically what you're referring to mm -hmm. is my assumption mm -hmm. uh, who came first and how did that process go or how did how was the sifting through like i don't i don't know how any of that works um but i always know actors are trying to get them yeah. Uh, so uh, honestly, I'm going to say like, I still don't really know how any of this works because I, it's been a really challenging process for, for me. And I don't know if it was partially the timing or, um, you know, just maybe the way that I come across sometimes, like, cause when I don't know someone, I tend to be more quiet. I tend to be a little bit more like when I'm comfortable, like, you know, I, Eddie and I have known each other for a while and I can yeah. just come and just like chat, you know, and that's, that's fine. But a lot of times, but a lot of times these first meetings are like interviews, mm -hmm. they're like, and so I, it's very hard for me as an introvert, uh, as a socially anxious introvert to be fully myself in like a first impression meeting and so much of Hollywood like they look at that like they give you a certain amount of time to make that impression and to impress like every audition is like that basically too right mm -hmm. um so they, they you're, you're given these like moments to show who you are and instill confidence that you can do something um and so sometimes that's something that like I'm like I'm just constantly pushing up against because I'm I'm maybe not as uh yeah I don't I don't you're you're yeah there's not that natural inclination to just be wide open and mm -hmm. comfortable in an instant like that, especially that, if you're being judged, right? Evaluated. Well, yeah, and you're internally knowing what's going on, all that kind of stuff. That yeah. makes sense. That's a yeah. lot of work 
to yeah like you said the wall break through that or whatever yeah okay so for me um how i got my manager is through um talent link so that's a service through actors access that basically they'll send your profile your resume to like all interested uh management companies and agencies so if they're looking for someone and they're looking through they might your headshot might catch their eye and they might look through your materials and then they would reach out to you um, if they're interested and my manager um, Leslie she at that time because I had used it like several times but that time she was the only person who communicated with me and reached out to me but also referenced very specifically my reel Um, And then I also knew that she reps someone who I think very highly of in the industry, um, one of my favorite acting teachers. And so we, and she was willing to to take me on um, like during, like during the pandemic, like at the beginning of the pandemic. Okay. Yeah. So this was. So so this has been a while now. And I think like it took a while for us to build this relationship that we have now where it feels like sometimes like it it really feels like it does feel like a team it feels like a collaboration it feels like we can communicate and you know like it it took a while to get there you know because I think a lot of times um, I'm sure other actors too it's like when you get a rep like you're kind of like how do I please this rep and how do I like make sure that I don't get dropped or I like what am I supposed to do like the rules that I'm supposed to follow um and then when you can get to a point where it's like an actual relationship where it's built on like trust and respect like it feels very special at least to me like I'm very grateful for it um and then my agent um I was referred to by another director that I worked with um because he's also an actor, like writer, actor, director, multi-hyphenate, nice. um, hyphenate. And so he he referred me to his agency. Writer, director. Writer, actor, director, producer. And an agent. Oh, no, he's not an agent. Okay. But he referred me to oh, his agent. Oh, he referred his agent was also on this. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, he referred me to his agent. Because I, I would say, like, one of the reasons that it's been challenging for me to find an agent is, you know, they... People will tell you like, oh, like email everyone or, you know, back before in the old days, like you would send your headshots and your stuff, you know, um, like kind of cold email people. And that never worked for me. Um, And then even sometimes when my actor friends would refer me to their agencies, like it would be a pass. Like, and so... Yeah, that's why I say, like, I don't really know how any of this works because sometimes I just feel like you just try stuff and then you get to know people and sometimes they refer you and it goes somewhere and sometimes they refer you and it goes nowhere. And so I have no answers. I'm very sorry. Um, I just know how it happened for me. Right. Yeah. So you landed your manager early in the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And... uh, yeah, because that's the interesting thing for me, too, because, like, from my mind, being a um, non-actor, but this the same relationships could occur on my side as a director with having manager and agent all that kind of stuff, too, mm-hmm. which I look forward to that, that day as well. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> in terms of, like, I wish 
being an actor is really hard. But um, <laughs> the whole actor trying to please a manager relationship versus the two-way street that you sounds like you've gotten to where it's more they understand me and I understand them because technically like you're the one that can hire and fire a manager just as well as they could let go of you too right you could so yes you could also end that relationship yeah if they're not if they're not putting you out and they don't listen to you and they don't respond to emails and they're obviously not but I don't, know, I don't know if they don't see you and they don't put you in positions to succeed then it's like well why don't it, you have to please me as well so I don't, it's it sounds difficult to manage and build that build that but how how did you build your relationship or how do, or what your what are your thoughts on that I well guess. for me like it does it i i know myself right so i know it does take me a while to build relationship with anyone especially if it seems like like a, as an actor who a lot of times it feels like we have very little power right like we have very little power and we have very little control in like a lot of the business aspects of the job and so it's very easy to get into a mindset where you feel like these are the hoops that I need to jump through so I need to do that even if it's something that you know, doesn't feel right, or I don't want to do, or, you know, it even causes me to compromise my ethics. So, um, but you also feel like because you don't have that power, and it feels like everyone else in in the industry um, that you have to go through has more power than you, it can feel like you can't assert yourself, you know, that if you assert yourself, then someone's going to think you're too difficult to work with. Someone's going to think that, you know, you're lazy mm-hmm. or someone's going to think that like all of these things that go through our heads. Right. So that's where it comes, you know, where you're just like, it's a process of learning who you are as an actor and who you are as a person in the acting world so that um, you can begin to practice asserting yourself. And so for me, it was like baby steps and saying like, um, you know, being able to pass on certain projects or not, not projects, but a lot of like more like auditions if I had a reason to. Um, and then also my manager also like checking in with me, like, you know, is this something like, just let me know. And then, and then when I, when I'm able to assert my boundaries, having that be respected and learning like, Okay, but building that mutual trust too, right? Because like I, I feel like it also took me a while. Like I needed to show my manager that I was a hard worker and that I, I am, like I'm, I'm willing to work. I'm willing to like put so much of my energy into things, Mm -hmm. so that when I do say no to something, it, it really means something. Like it's, it's not because like I'm just, like it's just whatever. Yeah, and I didn't feel like it. It's that like, no, I think through these things and I, there's like a reason. Yeah. So there's that, that mutual trust that we For built. sure. Yeah. I was going to say, cause it <laughs> is hard to, um, there's a lot of talkers in this town. Mm. Uh, a lot of people that talk, talk the talk. Mm-hmm. So I get the, the, the apprehension to, well, yeah, you're saying the same thing every other actress says. Every actress says they want to work hard and they're going to do the work, but mm-hmm. then a lot of them don't or whatever, mm-hmm. aren't consistent. So I get the I get the 
the time is the is the way to show is the consistency and showing up over time helps build that rapport and whatnot. But I also think about, um, I don't know, I guess the reason I'm so curious too is I have heard too many stories from actor friends of like them getting calls from their manager and being screamed at and, mm. and they're just like terrified to do something wrong and lose their manager yeah. and the manager uses that leverage in the relationship to talk down to or get mad at because uh, these auditions can be crazy where it's like stuff comes up the last second mm-hmm. and it's like a really big thing and then the manager's pulling a favor for you to even get you this audit like whatever the thing is and then yeah. it's like well i don't want to do it or i i'm busy right now or i can with fam whatever the thing is and it's like are you gonna do the worker like it's just yeah ugh, the lesson is it is so complex <laughs> and there's no like so yeah it's it's hard because sometimes like even if you have like a really great relationship with your manager where something will happen and like it's a relationship. So you're going to like, maybe you're going to frustrate each other sometimes, or you're going to like, you know, not be able to meet each other's expectations. There's going to be disappointments. I think that maybe the difference is like, Don't yell at people. Yeah, don't yell. <laughs> That's exactly what I was thinking. I'm like, don't yell at people. <laughs> it's not productive. Um, it sends the wrong messages to. I mean, the message is heard. Mm-hmm. Is I am mad, <laughs> and I wish you would just do this thing that uh, is would be good for me. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, we hear those stories, right? Like, uh, I I I see them, them on Twitter. The I I see them on Twitter more. Um, than like other other uh, social media platforms where people are beginning to talk about and not just like in terms of like it's just it's something within the industry right like sometimes you hear it about like um, a lot of PAs getting yelled at and you know like you, you, you just hear about how like there are practices of abuse and their abusive dynamics and abuse like the ways that like and that's that is in our industry and that's rampant, you know, and the more that people are beginning to talk about it and beginning to push back and say like that, that part of it is not okay. Like we can can find different ways to communicate that, you know, hopefully we can change it. It's a classic trickle down effect deal too, where producers breathing down the AD's neck to get the job done. The AD takes it out on the PAs or their second AD who takes it down on the, PAs is just the 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 human bully system, the hierarchy mm, of, of human of, bully system. <laughs> so um Yeah. That's it's a common theme on this podcast is be kind. Mm. Uh just, you know, lean into making others feel good and seen and heard versus um uh giving them a hard time for uh, things that are potentially most likely out of their control. Mm. You know, it's kind of, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Either way. So you have an <laughs> agent and a manager now and you're in SAG <laughs> and, <laughs> uh, and it's a, it's a new world. Um, I don't know. Is there anything to, to how are you looking at next year? And I think next year is more and more of the same. My lesson is always like, 
let go, let go, detach from expectations of outcomes because you just mm-hmm. don't know how things are going to happen. Um, and you just have to be open and let things happen and guard yourself, um, take care of yourself, take care of those around you as much as you can, um, and try to stay true to your own values and your, you know, like hold on to your integrity with everything that you have. Um, so next year's, I'm just expecting more of the same, just more auditions and, you know, hopefully something happens. Um, hopefully getting to work on more collaborations with friends, you know, like when heard those other things, <laughs> like, yeah, don't when the other things don't happen, but if you can keep working with friends and just creating together and, um, putting into practice the kindness stuff right Mm -hmm. and like creating a human kindness system you know instead then you know then you're still contributing you know to the industry as well as your own artistry um and to your friends all that good stuff yeah Yeah, because i always think about um because this, as mentioned, this is episode number 49. I imagine in the future when I'm on episode, you know, 500 or whatever, I'll be looking back <laughs> and thinking, of, because the weird, when you look back on life and you think about the, the random, the random connections that kind of hit, I was like, oh, I worked on this movie where I met this one person who five years later brought me onto this thing that did this for me who, or whatever, mm-hmm. or I always think about. Uh, it's a classic. Uh, this comes up in conversation when I'm hanging out with um, filmmaker friends a lot was, you know, collaborate and making stuff. And then the, the what's the, what's the term? Rising tides, a rising tide raises all ships or mm-hmm. so I just say, I always dream about the day that I'm, I have, I have my five year plan and I've got two years left in it for, for, uh, my end goal for working for marvel in a director Mm -hmm. capacity Mm -hmm. so then i imagine let's just say hypothetically speaking in this moment in time uh you know i'm doing my marvel thing Mm -hmm. and i'm able to either a cast or get like somebody in the door there on some sort of part on my disney plus series Mm -hmm. uh or just me being a part of it at all everybody's already going back in my history and watching it's what's on the inside or watching my other uh projects that i've produced in the meantime like oh my gosh they discover people through that like that's mm-hmm. kind of how cause that's that's what i've noticed the trend in marvel specifically with like a director will land an actor who will eventually get cast in a marvel mm-hmm. movie um like simu liu mm-hmm. uh for shang chi I know some indie filmmakers that had him as like a supporting role in their in their movie and that got more attention because he was in it and mm-hmm. then that got bought by HBO Max or mm-hmm. like all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. where it's like, all right, cool. Now they're in the sphere yeah. or, you know, the, the classic thing where you never know what, who just ma- yeah. keep making connections. Yes. Keep having great interactions. <laughs> okay. Yes. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why I said that anymore. I lost my train of thought. Let's jump to, let's talk. I want to int- I want to get into this via social media. Mm. Um, you are on Instagram and you are on Twitter. I'm I don't. On Twitter. I don't. We don't follow each other on Twitter. I don't believe. I don't do anything on Twitter anyway. <laughs> but um, 
So you... I do. I'm on Twitter. And, I mean, I have Facebook, you know. Uh, do you want to throw out your, your tags really quick while you're at it? Hey, Hannah Wu. <laughs> H-E-Y-H-A-N-A-W-U. Uh, on both? I think across everything. Okay. Because um, this is what they tell you as an actor. Like, be consistent. Keep it the same. Make it easy. Uh, so I guess my question was going to be, how do you mm-hmm. approach social media? And what do you, how, you, how do you utilize it as an individual Mm-hmm. Human in this world, uh, <laughs> slash actor. I don't know. Yeah, I when I first started acting, so this was five years ago. Um, five years. <laughs> Congratulations! I was like, holy moly! So uh, half a decade. Yeah. So uh, I I didn't have social media really. I d- I didn't really use it before acting, and so when I started to utilize it it was more as self-promotion self-marketing but I had no skills as an influencer (laughs) and I I, I had an old old phone like the like super outdated smartphone with no good camera so I it was just I think when I first started I was just like I have no idea how to use this thing Um, and I would get so caught up in, uh, you know, putting stuff out there that like was the highlight reel or was like my very, my very best face. Um, and I would feel very self-conscious because I never wanted to just show my best face. Like I just wanted to be real. And so I wanted to show, um, all of who I was, like stuff that I struggled with and, you know, bare face and you know like I, I didn't want it to be a highlight reel mm-hmm. but I didn't know how to do that and also brand myself at the same time because brand. branding is like I still don't really um so I've had like a lot of different talks with friends who are actors but also friends who aren't actors and in the end it's just like Maybe just being authentic is your brand. That could be your brand. And right. people won't figure you out because being authentic is like, well, we ha- we're all very complex creatures, right? So I'm going to have, I'm going to come across as very contradictory, but at least it's true to me. Um, and so you can show like those glamorous and flashy and badass photos, but also like stay true to yourself, especially in captions, because I I find myself like I'm very expressive in my writing and how I I um, mm-hmm. share of myself with writing, because uh, as an introvert I'm much more comfortable with that. Um, so I now I'm just like I don't really care as much anymore. Like I still want to show, I still want to put myself out there. I want to promote stuff that I'm doing I want to promote stuff that my friends are doing um but I I kind of see it more for what it is now so I'm not so much caught up in like likes and followers and why am I not like at like 10k I can't even break 3k you know like like that stuff is just like "Mm, whatever as long as I'm making connections you know and I'm having meaningful connections with people through it um 
that's good enough for me. Like Twitter, especially during the pandemic, I have gotten to connect with some really Mm. great people in the industry. I've gotten to know, you know, like, and in a very organic way, because you kind of just see, you kind of just see, (laughs) yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you just see like what they're doing and maybe who they like, and then you just like their stuff. And then, and then mutual friends will like your stuff. So then they'll see your stuff. And then eventually they'll start following it. So it's just very like, it's taken years, you know, it took years for that to start happening but i've kind of been marveling at the friends that i've the people that i've come to know through twitter because it's very surprising it's not what i expected of twitter at all but i've like gotten connected to some really great folks and even worked with some of them yeah i didn't know that was possible on twitter congratulations thank you so how and then I know that another big aspect when I think about uh, Instagram or your social media is your stories. Mm. Um, you're very consistent with uh, sharing stories, mm-hmm. and there's a nice wide variety there too. Where it's either sharing something cool a friend has done, where it's like hit this new trailers out. I think it's really cool. Or it's a wushu thing, or it's cute little comic book <laughs> strip with some cartoons that's really adorable, <laughs> or it's cute animals, yes. or it's therapist deep thoughts. Um, so how do you how do you handle how do you know what to share? How do you kind of decide what you're gonna put out there? Oh gosh, um, I don't know. Sometimes I think I just like neurotically share things, especially in the morning when I'm on social media a lot and I see a lot of good stuff because that's when I, I feel like a lot of people post early in the morning. So when I see like, ooh, this, like I really like this, um, like this post from this psychotherapist on this thing or like it lands for me right now. It's like, wow, then I'll like share it. Um, or if it's like a cute animal video that made me cry or go, oh, I'm like, I'm sure somebody else will appreciate it. So I share it. So it's really funny, actually. You'll For, for me, it's like most of the time you'll notice I share in chunks. So mm-hmm. I'll share like a whole bunch of stuff in like the first hour that I'm awake. And then I won't share anything for the rest of the day or I won't share anything until like maybe mid-afternoon when I'm on like really scrolling and seeing like finding good things you know but I I generally just go by things that I really really enjoy or things that make me think and then I want to share and then I also really like to support my friends like if they're doing something I want to be like because I I, like one of the things that I struggle with the most as a person and as an actor is like that whole MB comparison thing Mm. you know because I was always compared to other people um, disfavorably, like, you know, growing up where it was like, why can't you be more like this person? Why can't you be more like that person? Because they're so mm. good at this or they... You're talking parents? Parents. School teachers, I don't know. Parents, parents, and just, uh, I, f- I feel like this was in the Chinese immigrant culture, like in general, like this was just something that we, they, that happened as a way to motivate, right? To motivate and to like promote excellence and like help you grow but at the same time it just kind of um always made me feel uh, less demoralizing yeah because then you just because there's always going to be people if you break yourself into parts like that like oh how you treat other people and how polite you are to your elders and piano and what college you get into like there's always going to be someone better than you at that one particular piece right 
And so yeah. you just that just cultivates this feeling of never good enough. Like you're never going to be good enough. And all these pieces of you are not good enough. And so, you know, something that I really try to very intentionally try to do now is to celebrate people and to like, like that's how I counter feelings of envy or jealousy or comparison, because in the end, I want what's meant for me, right? I don't want what you have. Like, that's yours. That's fine. I want what's mine. So, you know, in the end, it's like, it doesn't help me. It doesn't make me feel good to be comparing or to be in competition with anyone. So I'd just much rather counter it by supporting, by supporting people. Mm-hmm. And that makes me feel better. And that actually helps me compare way less. Like, it, then, you know. Yeah. How do you feel about comparison with thyself is that the because and i guess that's kind of how i see it mm-hmm. where it, like you said it's not healthy to think about well at, at at that other guy's age he had already directed for this and this and this he's made this other movie like whatever like all that kind of stuff like how did that happen whatever who doesn't it doesn't matter that's irrelevant kind of well it's relevant in a way but uh, the point being is like you're on your own journey and um, as long as I feel like I'm having some sort of upward trajectory of growth in the direction that I'm aiming for, then I'm like, all right, cool. I'm making my progress. I know more now than I did when I directed mm-hmm. my first movie and I feel whatever, there's growth happening. So with the self-comparison, I'm like, oh, cool. That's doing yeah. great. Yeah, and, and I think like that, that is like that's probably one of the best ways to deal with like that whole comparison thing because if I want to grow like I'd much rather it be in comparison to where I was you know so that I can focus on my own journey and just stay in my own lane and not be looking at what anyone else is doing because again it's like it's kind of shooting yourself in the foot to like compare yourself to other people because there's always going to be one Mm -hmm. at least one you know, who does something earlier or does something bigger or, you know. Um, But I think if if and when those feelings of comparison do happen, because as much as I guard myself and just focus on my own lane, like every once in a while I'll still like see something that someone else have and be like, oh, I wish I had that. Um, But as long as I'm taking that as like, okay, if I'm feeling envious of someone, then that just means that there's something about them that I actually admire or something that I want, you know? So how can I rechannel that energy into um, helping either, helping me take steps to get there or to build my own skills? Right. You know? Yeah, I guess the, the, only, we're not gonna, the only thing that I could imagine... I could imagine where that's probably also that could backfire too, where I'm thinking about like in the future after I've directed Avengers and then I'm like, wait, no gigs are coming in. And then I'm comparing, comparing myself to the, I'm like, Oh, like I'm irrelevant now. I used to be such a big deal. Why can't I get back to that? So it's just the the circumstances that you're in now are not the same. Whatever this stuff is, so I could yeah. It's a weird. It's a whole weird it thing. It is. But regardless, yeah. It is. So yeah, I mean, because I feel that too. Because sometimes I feel like 
it's like what like what I said with like the lost momentum, right? Yeah. Um, with COVID and feeling like wow, things were moving somewhere it seemed, and then it just stalled, you know, for a long time. And needing to be okay with even that part of the journey. Yeah. Yeah. So you always got to work on something. There's no winning. I'm just kidding. No, it's great. No I, I think the whole point. <laughs> the moral of this podcast is. No, the hope, the hope is that um, you are able to, uh, I'm assuming, just find a way to be understanding of who you are right now and uh, to not give yourself a hard time. Knowing how to show yourself grace, but also recognize like not all of the growth is external either because sometimes like mm-hmm. there is a lot that happens underneath the surface and maybe that growth needs to happen before you see any more external growth, you know? So being able to remember that too when you yes. For Again, sure. the industry looks at the external growth, right? Uh, yeah, let's not think about that. All right, next, <laughs> um, we are going to talk about, I wanted to jump into a topic you brought up in your Instagram yesterday. I want to mm-hmm. I want to talk about something fresh. Okay. I, I thought it was an interesting story, mm-hmm. and um, I thought I would just dig into what you thought about it. Okay. I'm going to be very vague, and I'm also going to read this longer thing. Um, you shared this uh, story, A Deep Sense of Aloneness in a Capital World. Mm. Um, now, I think, I don't know, this doesn't really have, it kind of does. I don't know. There's a lot of things that we can branch off from this with, because I think about, let's say, uh, I briefly mentioned that um, I am, I just moved and I'm living in, uh, I have my own space living alone for the first time Mm -hmm. since moving to LA. I've lived on my own before back in Reno, um, but the first time since being in Los Angeles, I've usually had the roommate situation and had somebody around that I was either collaborating with or rooting for or having that back and forth, Mm -hmm. which has been lovely. But now I'm by myself, which is lovely in its own reasons (laughs) because sometimes roommates don't work out. Um, there's also the uh, I don't know, okay, I'll just read some bullets. I'm just gonna read everything off. I might post this on the video version as well if you want to read along. Um, so a deep sense of aloneness in a capitalist world. Bullet number one: a growing awareness that social interactions have become increasingly about our possessions, our acquaintances, and small talk. And we can, I guess. Talk about bullets as we go, if there's thoughts on that. I'm sure there's thoughts on every bullet. Uh, Bullet number two. When work takes over our lives and the constant fight to survive leaves little emotional energy for relationships. Which is kind of like my biggest fear with the path that I've chosen Mm -hmm. with like crew life. Because there's that whole IATSE thing that went down. That kind of didn't really solve anything in the end, which is a bummer. Yeah. But, um, well, it did solve some. I I don't know the two specifics the point was IATSE is the crew the giant crew union and the um what's what's the thing the quality of living uh 
situations for crew with the 12-hour workday minimum. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of OT happens in the movie business and TV business. So mm-hmm. when you're done with 12-hour days, you don't it's have like time. You drive home and you need to sleep and then you need to drive. Yeah. yeah. So uh, significant others, family kind of go to the wayside while you're in production. Um, and it's hard to sustain relationships yeah. with that kind of time availability and yeah. energy availability. Mm-hmm. So that scares me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, bullet That's number valid. three. Oh, sorry. That's valid. Uh, a reliance on consumerism to fill the void. Um, do you relate to that? Consumerism. Or I guess the, the general thought on that, I, I guess they expand on it too, which I can talk about or I can read. We'll, we'll just continue. Unless you have thoughts. Yeah, go Going ahead. quick. Go ahead. Uh, when social media feels like a place where we quantify our social standing, likes and follows, kind of talk about that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and it feels like with Facebook moving into the metaverse and all that kind of stuff, it's only going to become more so a sign of um, a, pl- of a quote-unquote place mm-hmm. where we do that. Uh, final bullet on this slide, the commodification of self-care quote-unquote as a lone endeavor that's linked to consumption some big words there yes commodification of self-care is that saying that uh, there's an expectation that uh, we must consume to feel good in that sense Yes, um, because a lot of times, maybe in some of the more, um, like, because self-care and psychology, these are all, like, really complex, really, like, big contextual, you know, concepts that we're trying to apply to our lives in order to heal. Um, So when you have a lot of, like, therapy accounts, which I follow a lot and I share a lot from them, um, so I I find them very useful, but the tricky thing is to make it about, like, is is that they can provide um, very reductionistic ways of viewing things like self-care, like, where it's just, like, look out for yourself or, you know, like, get yourself a yummy treat or, you know, like it's like a treat yourself. Yes. It's, it's where it becomes like a treat yourself, like, you know, sit in the bath and, you know, like so that you're consuming something for yourself rather than if it's like a community care thing where like you're, it's like when it's supposed to be the, the community taking care of itself, that would meet the need rather than like this self thing that I need to fix with. Um, you know, a piece of chocolate and a bath bomb, you know? So like there's that piece of it where like we make it into this, we make self-care into something that we're consuming rather than looking at like, what is the real need here? And how do I actually meet it? What needs, what, mm-hmm. how do I meet it um, in a sustainable way where it's not just trying to like sort of feel better in one particular moment? but is there something larger going on? Um, and then the other piece, like since the, the actual post is about feeling lonely, which, right? I'll, which I'll get into. <laughs> like how, how, like instead of maybe what we're actually needing is connection and intimacy 
but we're being encouraged to experience something or consume i think of experiential yeah. like you mentioned the bath or the go out to yeah eat like the the dopamine hits of right food. or even consumption as in like scrolling through social media or binging shows you know like that sort of thing like those are all different ways that we consume other things in order to try to fill some kind of void right um and it may work in the moment or it may serve as a distraction but we're not necessarily looking at like how we're actually meeting our needs for connection and intimacy with people and a lot of the things that we're using may actually lead us further from so how do we we can get a little bit we can we we can get (laughs) we can get a little bit meta with this currently too because right now you're listening slash watching to a podcast of us talking about this thing Mm -hmm. where I don't, you know, this, I, I do know that it, it can, the nice thing about podcasts and just like listening to conversation and being a part of conversation is there's that sense of connectivity that happens there mm-hmm. and that social interactionness um, that we long for the, this day and age where I feel like extended conversations don't, don't really happen commonly by default, like get, having, having you know, you don't sit with people and talk for three hours anymore these days, really. Um, but even listening to it and being here, like, we are here with you right now, in a way, and we enjoy that you are here with us currently, but we're not going to be with you once this ends, and you're going to be on your own, and that feeling is going to come back if, or, you know, whatever, like, that's it's an interesting, uh, so instead of just putting us on repeat and continuing to listen to us there's other stuff going on there yeah yeah. i mean hopefully because if the aim of like social media or you know created content is to like build connection then in the end it still falls to the consumer to take that and go out and you know either continue the conversation with someone in their life or um, use it to change something, right? So it can't just be like an internal shift. And I think for me a lot, like I, I find myself doing that, like when I am scrolling and I'm sharing, you know, like when I share stuff, I think it's also because like I do, like I, w- I want to connect with people. I'm, I'm sharing things that I find interesting and isn't it like an excuse to start a conversation kind maybe, of thing yeah so like when people actually hear me when people actually like text something rather than you know like i mean i enjoy any kind of dopamine hit so like if they like something or if they give me an emoticon respond with a fire like, emoji yeah. yeah like i'm i'm gonna be like yeah um but there's also something more like when someone's actually like engaging with that and then we have an actual conversation right yeah um but then, like, I get scared because then some people are, like, engaging and I'm like, I don't actually know you and <laughs> I'm talking to you about all these things. So, I, I don't know. Like, sometimes it's like, okay, how do I, like, figure out how to engage and how to get the connection that I'm looking for? Is this the way? Is this really the best way to do it? But then I also get people who, like, you know, tell me, like, I appreciate the kinds of things you share, you know. And so I'm like, how do I balance this with um, like just wanting to share at large because I feel like maybe a lot more than just 
me will respond to it um, versus like just going directly and having conversations with people that, you know, I know that I know and I know I can have like these deep yeah. conversations with that actually meet the need that I have rather than like just posting, you know, sharing, retweeting and like hoping yeah, someone will engage it's, me it's, first. <laughs> I see that a lot like, um, let's just say like hosting a party, for instance, mm. is it always bugged me back in the day. People still do this too sometimes with like, hey, to, so on social media, they'll blast out to their followers. <laughs> Is hey, who wants to go see this movie? Uh, I want to see this movie. Who wants to go, and then I, I don't know if they're hoping for a certain someone to respond to it, or they can just be like they could ask the people they want to go with directly mm. versus putting it out there in the world. Um, you know what? That's actually like that because I know when I invite people to like a screening, I actually don't <laughs> invite people directly. I'm kind of like. Because I think what I fear of rejection. Yes, I think like maybe it's a fear of rejection or a fear of like uh, placing um, pressure on people or like I don't know what it is, but for me it's easier to just be like this screening here at this time. If you want to come, you can come. But if not, okay. (laughs) You know, catch you next time. So maybe it is this sort of like yeah. It's it's a fear based decision, I think. Because you can definitely say that same thing to an individual. It's, hey, Eddie, I've got the screening. It'd be awesome if you went. No pressure. You don't have to That's go if you're busy. It still works. And I, I feel more appreciated that you thought of me and you wanted me to go. And I get that <laughs> hit. And then I have to politely decline because I'm busy. And it's yeah. nothing personal. And thank you so much. Like that, I feel like I, I'm always a fan of the direct, the direct yeah. versus the blast. But I, I definitely get the fear thing of... I'm having a birthday party and I'd rather not have you say you can't go or it's not a priority for you. Cause mm-hmm. that's going to hurt my feelings. Mm-hmm. Right, Cause that's, um, that's mm, no fun. Yeah. I'm going to cry. All right. Um, <laughs> so let's jump into, I want to read the description of this post. Okay. I, uh, am kind of, I feel like it's, it's definitely leaning a certain way in it. Um, but I will bring it up after. All right, I'm going to read the full thing. Okay. This is from The Rap. Issued. Is that how you say this one? The Rap. Issued. The Rapacid. The Rapacid. <laughs> it, it almost seems like a play on like like therapist. Like pissed. A therapist is pissed, kind of. Therapist. Does that make sense? All right. Therapist. <laughs> I did not get that. <laughs> a therapist. So it's an angry therapist. <laughs> Not uh, to be confused with the angry therapist, which is another account. Oh, is that one? There is wow. one. Okay. <laughs> They're competing. So uh, this caption says, do you ever feel disappointed with the world? It's one of the most unsatisfying experiences because there's no specific person or issue at play. Just a deep sense that the way we live doesn't sit well. When I have these moments, I become despondent about the distress that I see around me. I feel like we are in the midst of a global mental health crisis, an epidemic of loneliness. We often take a recent, we often look at recent changes to explain away the distress. We look at economic and technological change. We look at the recent pandemic and the effect it has. There is no doubt about the secondary implications of these, but in my opinion, it is our ideology that is the major player. There are clear evolutionary reasons for this social 
helps the social pain. We are ultra-social mammals whose brains are designed to connect and respond to others, yet the prevailing principle of a capitalist society is individualism. Individual effort, self-reliance, and independence are revered. We are encouraged to compete and compare. Loneliness is integral to capitalist ideology. It is the human cost of a functioning capitalist system. We use consumerism and productivity as ways of coping. This is how it is designed. I see the impact of this at all levels. Busyness and the focus on work help us to avoid our discontent. Then treating ourselves, quote-unquote, in our downtime continues the job. We've been told that earning and buying makes us good citizens, quote-unquote, and we feel guilty when it doesn't satisfy us. But I also see it in the ways that we interact. Is it just me, or have our social interactions become more frivolous? It's as though we've lost the emotional commitment required for friendship and the intellectual effort needed for conversation. When I have deep and meaningful interactions, I feel so thankful, but it becomes even more acutely obvious how it is otherwise missing. As a therapist, I'm also aware of how this ideology is pervasive in the therapy room with our incessant focus on individual responsibility. I find my own meaning in this world by offering a space where ideology, politics, and the permeating sense of loneliness is never ignored. There is a space for this in therapy. <gasps> great and that there's a lot there what are you thinking <laughs> you go first <laughs> okay I will relate to certain aspects for sure with I always think about when I'm feeling down the thing that always brings me back up is looking at my to-do list and checking stuff off that list always gets me back into uh a level-headed zone where I'm like, okay, I'm like making that progress. I'm being productive. I'm feeling good. I'm, uh, you know, that that's definitely, I guess, like this. They're describing it here as a coping mechanism for my loneliness potentially. <laughs> um, so busyness, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, the thing that I that also intrigues me too is I haven't. I'm always kind of, uh, what's the word? I'm hesitant. Um, with, I, 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 I don't know much about how to build a capitalist society or what the end goals of capitalist society are mm -hmm. on if a bunch of uh, people got around the table and like, we want to promote business, we want to promote individualism because we think people should have the rights to make decisions and vote and blah, blah, blah. And also we're really thinking that people, we should really push people to be lonely and isolated and that'll increase the productivity of our businesses. I feel like it's more of a symptom of the society versus the goal of it. Mm -hmm. um, Cause this is described as loneliness is integral to capital idol, a capitalist idol. Jeez. Loneliness is integral to capitalist ideology. So I kind of got hung up on that a little bit. I'm like, mm. I'm like, is that true or is that a, 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 a assertion? But regardless, those are thoughts. <laughs> yeah, I think I think um, I don't think anybody really goes into like I don't think that 
I have this feeling that most people are not consciously thinking about like going in, this is the ideology that I want to have and this is how I want people to feel. So I, I even think like in terms of like capitalism, it's just like, I mean, it's been around, you know, since pretty much the beginning of this nation, you know, like this, this concept of like free market capitalism and yeah I'm not like it's been a long time I was a sociology major in college so like mm-hmm. I read about all this stuff but it's been a long time since I've read about it um and really studied it extensively and so like it's it's I feel like there's there's a lot about capitalist ideology that I can't really speak to I mean I just know okay huh but I do feel like I do feel like the individualism thing and then the the loneliness thing as a result of it I feel like those are byproducts of of capitalist ideology or at least like it's just it's the it's kind of it's the result of it but it's also like one of the markers of it um where the more like because some people I know are talking about like late like end stage capitalism and that that's where we are right now where like American society is right now hmm. and that's why we're seeing like whoa because we can look back and say like the the ways that our economy that our market that our market the way that we approach um our economy like has led to an increase in like individualism and like pulling yourself up up by your bootstraps and like you know like survival of the fittest and all of those things um and that's led to especially with you know the introduction of like technology being where it's gotten to that it's led to even more isolation um and so I feel like there's sort of like it's like it's kind of like to me I kind of describe it as like a pendulum swing where it's like it's kind of heading in this direction and so as we are realizing that like well we're we're realizing the traps some of the traps of mm-hmm. capitalism or some of the traps of individualism like we want to like try and go back to the other direction so I I actually I, I find it interesting because when I was a therapist I would notice that a lot of clients who would have coping skills that may feel extreme. Like if I speak for myself, you know, like perfectionism and approval seeking and, and being a people pleaser and and having a really hard time saying no to people and establishing my boundaries, I'm like over here. And then when I started to heal, I started to have to like swing the pendulum almost over in the opposite direction. So that I was like, saying no a lot like in all the time and I almost needed to like swing it in the opposite direction because I needed to know what that felt like or at least it felt like to me I was going to the extreme in the opposite direction before and we go kind of back and forth before we settle in in a spot and so I've actually been noticing these like swings a lot um in our society so we like it's it's like we gravitate towards the extremes and then we don't settle. And so we gravitate towards all or nothing thinking yeah. on one side or the other. Yes. And then and then we even like take one side and then we look at the other side as dangerous and anybody representing the other side as dangerous. So 
So yeah. then, then we end up even making enemies, right? <laughs> it's not just being lonely, but then we actually end up making enemies of like, so for me, I, I don't know that, that, um, I don't know if the, cause this was, this is a new account, um, that Instagram posts, like it's a new account to me. And so I don't really know where this person is coming from, but I think when I read that and the reason that I shared it is because like, there has been like this underlying loneliness and desire for connection that I've been feeling that I don't really have like the words to describe and I can't really find the source of it except that like the more that I you know live and try Mm -hmm. to connect especially through like the social media platforms and through our technology the more that I find like I'm not satisfied, you know, yeah. like it doesn't satisfy that need. I'm going to ask a question. Okay. Can, when, thinking back on life, mm-hmm. when do you feel the most satisfied or connected? When I feel... I have my answer, but I'll, your answer. I'm putting you on the spot. Um, for me, it's when... If I think about like... So three three things, actually. Or three, like... The first is like when I am with... Like my... my like my lifetime friends, I think like or people that i know like i am very very close to mm-hmm. um or yeah people on your close friends list on instagram yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well yeah like essentially like my cl- like cl- like time spent with close friends um and just have like just simply having conversations right like the people that you can talk for hours with Um, even if you don't see them all the time, like when you talk, like you don't have to have a facade with them, you know, you know, you can be yourself. Um, the second is actually being on set. (laughs) Yeah. Even though, even though a lot of times it's like, I may not like, these are sometimes they're like complete strangers, you know, like you don't even know them, Usually, but you're doing something like it's you're doing your thing the thing that makes you feel most alive and i think when you can do that and it's for me being on set especially because it's you're collaborating with like a whole group of people to make something happen and i just adore that yeah because you're doing that and everybody else around you is doing that thing that they do that brings them most alive as well Mm -hmm. it kind of harkens back to i feel like way back in the hunter gatherer days of of humans where there's like Mm -hmm. a task at hand Mm -hmm. and we're just in our own little bubble world and this is the task and nothing else matters and we're Mm -hmm. just trying to survive and make our thing and we all have our individual jobs providing to the village Mm -hmm. and we all feel completed and Mm -hmm. needed and Mm -hmm. yeah so everybody does their part and you're working towards a common goal um and it's also yeah just doing something that you love. Um, yeah, it's a very in the moment task as well, where you're incur- yes. you're forced yes. to like as an actor especially, mm-hmm. you're not supposed to be aware. You're supposed to like separate everything else and just be there interacting with your mm-hmm. scene partner and, and react mm-hmm. authentically and mm-hmm. 
all that kind of stuff. So it's just like everybody's just in the moment and it's beautiful. That's how mm-hmm. I see it. Yeah. yeah. You have a you have a third thing or did you have more on set? Well, third third thing is third thing is wushu. Um just mm. having a practice. But for me also like wushu is like it's 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 in class. Like I'm in class with people that we're also working towards something, right? Um mm-hmm. and we have someone leading us. We have a teacher that's kind of leading us towards getting better and growth, but it's a it's a lifestyle practice. And I guess all three of them have in common for me, uh you know, what, what we were talking about for said is you have the people there that you have to be present with. Um, and the fact that you're either having a conversation, like you're either working things out for life together, or you're like working together to meet a goal to get somewhere. And, so maybe it's like being able to be present with fellow travelers. I don't know. Like if you, if I want to like totally boil it down to like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Know. <laughs> I know. I think the presentness is a big part of it for sure. Mm-hmm. Is how I boiled it down in my mind mm-hmm. where it's normally if you're in the moment with somebody and you kind of forget world and you're just kind of there. Mm-hmm. It's just, it just feels better than mm-hmm. getting in your head and thinking about the past and, doubts and regrets and mm-hmm. where you're not currently and all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. yeah <clears throat> great i wanted to bring that up in terms of uh that copeness kind of thing yeah did you want to see it okay um the we are also in reference to this as well because oh i was gonna say on the capitalist side too the thing that I thought about when I read this was, um, again, that I don't, I don't imagine, I don't know, maybe there is such a thing as, you know, the big, the big, there's the, the, the Illuminati or whatever, you know, there's, there's some organization out there that's controlling the shifting. There's somebody's making decisions out what I don't think that's the case. I think more like, let's talk about Facebook, for instance, where there is uh, Facebook and then they have Instagram and they have all this other stuff. And then the pandemic happens and they see an uptick on their usage of every single thing that they own and their growth has grown exponentially. And they're like, oh my gosh, people are spending more time than ever before on all of our platforms. And they're doing it because there's this encouragement of isolation, don't go out, hide, be in fear of the outside, stay in and escape into uh, the social media sphere. So then I could think like, oh, oh my gosh, like that wasn't the intention of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. But capitalizing on it is something that capitalists uh, companies are just trying to exploit is like how do we get people to sleep less so they can spend more time watching stuff how can we expand on the stomach so people can eat more of our food mm-hmm. or like whatever the thing is yeah. <laughs> so for them uh, in the moving into like the metaverse and stuff is like oh people or the divisive thing the divisive nature people spend more time on our platform when they're arguing rather than getting along so mm-hmm. how do we exploit that and then 
how do we keep people in their room alone, but still connecting with people? And can they do it through our platform? Let's introduce this virtual reality metasphere space where they can design their own home and they can hang out with people all day, but they're doing it through our thing. I feel like I've seen movies about this <laughs> with that same premise. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I'm just saying that to say that I don't think there's a master plan, but uh, humans are good at um, seeing a trend and, and trying to uh, exploit it. But Yeah. So I think maybe that, that whole, the part of capitalism is, you know, the drive to to make money and to seize opportunities to make money without necessarily thinking through, well, what are the ramifications to people, you know, and the society that we want and to culture. And so I think for me, it's just like, I don't really necessarily have, like, I actually, I love social media and I love connecting. I, I really love connecting through um, like DMs. Anyway, anyway. Uh, yeah, like DMs and, you know, having conversations. In fact, what I've found is that like, it's easier for me to get to know people through um, like messaging first. Um, and that's happened with a lot of like my close friends is that like we start out with I mean, that's you how know. we started out too, yeah. Yeah, like that's just, I don't know if, if it's, you know, it, maybe it's a safer way. I think of it as a safer way to, you know, get to get to know someone at first. Um, but also for me as an introvert, um, it takes me a long time to process things, you know? Like, and I like to be able to have like time <laughs> to think through <laughs> things. And so it's just, easier for me and it feels safer to interact with people like I hate talking on the phone um even with like good friends I hate talking on the phone mm -hmm. um so nobody no like don't take it personally friends um but it's just you know so I actually I feel like with anything with anything any tools right you can use it for good and you can use it for evil yeah and you can use it mindlessly so if you intent yeah so if you like think through like and be mindful about how you're using something and constantly be like evaluating like how is it helping me versus how is it like maybe getting me further away from what i really want and deciding how you want to use it and who you want to be on it then i think that you know, there's a lot of good that it can do because we were forced to connect largely through social media during the pandemic. It's still happening, but yeah. Yeah, so it's like, if that is, you know, maybe one of the, the main ways that we connect, then like, how do we want to use it to connect then? You know, without it destroying our souls or our society, right? Mm. So, so if we can be more mindful about it and use it more intentionally and take breaks when we need it, that's also key be able to take breaks and step away when we need to. That's a whole big other thing. That's hard. Yeah. That's hard. <sighs> All right. I will jump in. I'm just going to rattle off some, <laughs> a bunch of topics. This is from uh, another um, account that you follow that you've shared from the uh, the dot holistic dot psychologist yes. i went to their account and just looked through stuff and i was like oh there's a lot of interesting things here mm -hmm. um i forget which one you shared specifically but i i did notice that you are uh, a follower of them yes um okay 
and let me know if there's anything here that you want to expound on. Um, topic number one, childhood shaping our beliefs and reactions and behavior. I was curious on uh, childhood and what years that is, what, what childhood means was something I was curious about. Like when that, when childhood ends or uh, when our beliefs are shaped, like that kind of stuff that I was kind of curious about. Um, uncomfortable conversations, uh, forgiveness, um, uh, becoming conscious of our nervous systems and learning to regulate. Yeah. So all of that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. The, all of it. <laughs> so, yeah. So we can talk about uh, little bits of each or thoughts overall. Um, the nervous system thing, because I think about, because uh, I have a, a friend of the friend of the show. Her name's Nora Brocklocker. She was, you know, she was on the podcast. She's a marriage and family therapist, and she likes to uh contextualize certain things in the in the like the chakras and mm -hmm. talk through it in that way yeah and i remember her referencing that um there's a a saying like the mind over matter that kind of distracts from actually understanding your system and becoming one with like your body sends signals mm. and to not really disregard them. Cause there's the thought of like, I can power through this pain and conquer the thing. If mm. I just ignore what my body is telling me, I can mm. get it done. Mm -hmm. It's like, or you can listen to your body, become one with it and uh, learn to work with thyself. Um, yes. And, that kind of thing so yeah that's that's a really huge thing and i think that that particular therapist on that account um she works a lot with with trauma mm -hmm. and so what we know about trauma especially trauma that happens like early on because like our relationships and the ways that we were raised the as children so like even from as early as like birth we are being right. shaped because we're growing so much right developing so much so all of that like leaves an, an imprint because when you're a child, like we're pretty helpless, you know, like we we're pretty much like blank, you know, so everything that we learn is taught to us, whether directly um, by parents, teachers, so, like whatever relationships there are around us or um, indirectly, like just being in our culture and, and having that environment act on us yeah the senses are picking stuff up 24 7 so. yes so <laughs> so things will impact us like when we have certain needs that aren't being met like whether it's physical or whether it's emotional or when our senses are overwhelmed by a trauma and we, we feel uh, unsafe you know in a situation where we have to fight for survival um all of that shapes our body and our brain and so therefore our nervous system. And so for some of us, like we're more sensitive, we can be more sensitive to certain things going on um, in the environment around us than other people. And so like for me, like I know I'm a very highly sensitive person, which means like sounds and crowds especially can like make me dysregulated 
like mm-hmm. my, my nervous system. So like, I actually feel it in my body. Like I actually want to run away. So that's like fight or flight. Like sometimes when I get overwhelmed, like I have these sensations in my body and it's telling me like, it is time to go mm-hmm. or I need quiet it's or like, I need, it's you like, know. you're good. <laughs> so like, uh, learning to recognize how our nervous system is and recognize what its responses are and why we respond in the way that we do like that's all of that particular therapist work a lot of therapists work in that way if they work with trauma you mm-hmm. know and i think in a day and age where a lot of times it feels like we're in crisis all the time um Mm-hmm. All of us are a little bit more like our nervous systems are tend to be more reactive, right? So like it's it's not at rest. When we're at rest, we can think critically, we can evaluate things, we can like it's easier for us to have empathy because we can take on other people's perspectives. But when we our nervous system is in like that stressed fight or flight mode, then we're not really all we're, we're thinking of is how do I survive this? Not necessarily like... I think of like traffic and people in their cars. Like it gets stressful out there just trying to survive the roads. Mm -hmm. And you're going at high speeds and you're like high danger. So that's why road rage comes up and people are... They have very difficult times empathizing with other drivers. (laughs) Yes, that is true. Yeah, that's a great example. So it's like... It's it's the difference between having a, a you know, like a, a activated nervous system versus having a calm nervous system. Like if you go into driving in like a Zen mode where in a Zen mode where you're it's like, OK, I'm going to drive defensively and get to where I need to get to when I get to it. And yeah, no if rush. other people are cutting me off or like doing really weird, strange things, it's like maybe they're having a bad day instead of. That's me every day. That's me every day. <laughs> I just bought a little tiny car. I don't It's out front. Mm-hmm. I have a little little Fiat 500 now. It's a little, mm-hmm. little baby car, little toy car. And uh people do not like it on the road because <laughs> i drive like a grandpa too so i'm just i'm in no hurry so i deal with that non-stop i'm like well i'm getting on the road i'm leaving on time i'm not worried but everybody else is in speed racer Same mode over here in a hurry. yeah it's los angeles yes sorry i forget the first Okay, so like you asked about childhood as well. Yeah, there's that, and there's also forgiveness, mm. the power of the power of forgiveness, and uh, potentially could tie into uncomfortable conversations. Is kind of an assumption here, um, but yeah. Yeah, uncomfortable conversations. Oh gosh, so all of these are like yeah, like big, giant, huge. What is a stuff. what is a common? Just off the top of your head, a common uncomfortable conversation that you feel uh, is, I mean, a common uncomfortable conversation that people often need to be told to have. It's like, maybe you should have that conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, have you thought about having that conversation? <laughs> like, I feel like there's probably some top three list of conversations people don't want to have. Yeah. I think. I feel like a family thing for sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think any time, depending on your toleration of feeling vulnerable, right? Anytime someone hurts you, 
like okay top of my head like a boundary if you need to set a boundary with someone because you feel they have invaded you or like whatever i feel like that's a really hard conversation for a lot of people is how to set a boundary with others um you need to say no to something you need to turn someone down because you're going through all of those like questions of like oh no will they feel rejected or like or, or are they not going to like me anymore or, you know like whatever yeah so it's very hard to set boundaries that's yeah. an uncomfortable conversation i was going to take it back to the actor manager yeah. dynamic with i would just yelled that by you last last phone call and uh, we can't have that or you're talking about the uh, acceptance thing too and saying no to gigs or whatever the stuff. I don't know. That's more of a, I've, those are, you don't know, those are. Yeah. Like being able to have those conversations um, and tolerate the, like, to, and be able to tolerate your own feelings about around that topic. Right. So if you can tolerate like being rejected, if you can tolerate like, um, I don't know, someone, he, that person may not like your response, you know, or may not like that boundary or, you know, whatever, but being okay with like, so being able to like stay present with yourself in the midst of that conversation and also stay true to your, to your own boundaries. Um, so that's one, I feel like boundaries, setting boundaries mm -hmm. is a really good, difficult conversation. Number two is just sharing if somebody angers you or hurts you and being able to have an actual conversation about that and then for the other person to actually be able to hear that you angered someone and or hurt them and not get defensive so i feel like that that's something that happens like all the time that's, those are tough that's they're not only uncomfortable <laughs> but those are difficult to orchestrate they are because okay. it requires like two people being able to regulate emotions and come together with a, with a, a larger common goal right mm -hmm. you're not just trying to like you're trying to repair the relationship essentially yeah or repair something there. that yeah repair there. something that went wrong in the relationship that's hard yeah cuz it's tough because um i can think of i don't have to i'm not going to bring them up specifically but i know interactions uh that just it brings me back to just like being in an ultra sensitive space and getting into that all right i just have to voice this and i have to control this and i have no control over you mm -hmm. but you're here right now and I'm, just going to say these things and hopefully you're receiving it mm -hmm. and then there's the defensiveness and then there's a little bit of like a little bit of reiteration because sometimes it takes a little bit of a yeah you gotta it's like yeah. no no i really want to are you hearing you like the clown you know i know that like these are these are all hard and then maybe like the third the very obvious one is like trying to talk about politics when you are on opposing sides mm -hmm. right like that, that. It's weird, huh? So hard. I okay. I, this is whenever, <clears throat> whenever politics comes up. Mm -hmm. Not that it comes up often, but I always wonder. I don't like labels. Mm -hmm. I wonder how, how much of that could be cured. For instance, quote unquote cured, if if there was a new Supreme Court law or some sort of constitutional amendment that says. 
you know, on the on forever on ballots forever, uh, and whatnot. No party. You can't list the party of the person. Mm. Like if if the House and the Senate and all the parties were stripped from everybody's name and you couldn't colorize people, mm-hmm. like how things would change and nobody knew where parties they landed in, if that would be helpful in any capacity. Yeah. Or uh, if if you had to go to the polls and vote for president or your governor or and there was no party there. And you actually had to listen to what their stances were. And people still find a way to label, but. Yeah, I think that's that's one of the hard things is that we do have that tendency to label because we need quicker ways to understand. To hate each other, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, are you red or blue? Okay, yeah, I don't like you. Next. Well, the problem with that piece that I find is that... The things that we are taught to believe about what that label represents, right? So if it's not someone that is in our tribe, then we are told how to think and how to feel about those people. Um, or we just like, we, we're we given the beliefs about those people <laughs> without actually having talked to them first right so exactly. i i think i think i think that label piece is like yes i understand our human nature to want to like be able to categorize things very quickly because our world is so complex that like it's just sometimes it's just too much but at the same time when we let those labels stand and forget that like the humanity of people then we that's i feel like that's where we get into I, the funny thing is oh so get into what no, sorry no no, no i mean it. a big mess right like, <laughs> where we are today, <laughs> well, no, no i just i just i just think it's interesting because if i just say if if you put two people on a podium and they had an extended debate a nice productive one where they talked about it's impossible this is a fa- fantasy world of course and people in the audience or watching on TV didn't know. Like, if we were just blind individually watching the thing and we're like, who do we want more? Who do I more trust to lead? As I pick this person. And then they were like, the blindfold was taken off. And they're like, oh, that person was actually this. I was like, oh, really? I'm a red, but I voted blue. Or I'm a blue and I voted red. Like, if they just didn't know, who, people would, I think, vote a little bit better if they... Uh, yeah, or, given the shorthand excuse. Right. Anyway, I don't know. Well, because That's of all of the meanings of that we attach to the labels, right? Or the the and it's not just that, but also the um the pressure to conform. Mhm. You know, like to an in-group that you have to conform to all of our beliefs that we have to be like this one solidified unit instead of be able to like have some differing views you know that like I don't know I I think it's just the the allegiance that some people want or expect you to have to a certain thing so that if you dive like if you're like diverging from it 
then you, you have, we have to be careful with you because you might start looking more and more like that other side. Are you with us or are you with them? Yeah. That's, so one, that's one of the lines in the West Side Story trailer. <laughs> because he was falling for the other side, the girl on the other side. And like, are you with us? <laughs> and then he's like, well, I'm in love with the girl. And either way. <laughs> that's Yeah. So um, I, I think we've sort of lost our ability to hold complexities and and have we? Well, you're talking we as a as a United States of America society. Yeah, like just kind of uh, as as a whole in our society, it's just very very hard. But I feel like you know those times. It's like again when you can actually have one on one conversations with someone like you. That's when you can find common ground or common humanity or you, you know like when when someone who was a label to you becomes a human to you i mean they I, I love those little youtube videos where they have uh they put like a, a democrat and republican in a room together and not tell them what the study is like the task is just like build this thing together mm-hmm. and then they're like they're like buddy buddy and they get the job done and they're getting along and they have the common ground and there's no issues whatsoever. And then at the end of it, they're like, oh, by the way, this person, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, oh, I would not have treated you that way if I would have known that up front mm-hmm. because they're both like, whatever. So it's, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, I feel like I try really hard to not uh, see things in that way. Mm-hmm. with uh, the listen first and benefit of the doubt. And normally we have more in common than we have. Uh, we I think we have more in common on a, in a general state than, uh, than topics we disagree on with people is my, is my gut. Mm-hmm. And I also think that most people actually all want the same thing. It's just determining how to solve the problem is where mm-hmm. or where semantics kind of get a little bit lost. It's like, no, 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 we all want to be happy here, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> or whatever the case is. And it's yeah. like, yeah, no, I, I want I want my kids to be smart too. <laughs> or, <laughs> you know, whatever, you know. Uh, I think that's, I think that's true that in, in a lot of ways we want the same things. That's a good, yeah, it's a classic thing. Okay, so uh, I wanted we have a lot left on the list. However, we're not <laughs> going to get to a lot of it. I did want to ask you, since you are aware of the list, uh, one more one more good topic we can jump into. Um, do you want to look through? There is Juju. Um, we can talk about because like, you're not in the dating world, so that that would just me me venting about the process currently. <laughs> Um, cause I, no, 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 no. I'll save that for somebody else. There's, uh, there's triggered and how not to be, we didn't, it's not really something that you talk about much, but I'm not sure what your relationship is with meditation. We could talk more about wushu. Um, the, uh, negatives can be positives. Your experience with perfectionism, cause you kind of brought that up a little bit, but, um, what that looks like. There's I'm also... What? You just go like, eeny, uh, okay. Bo. I was trying to gauge on what, because I want, I want, yeah. What do you want to hear, audience? 
Oh, okay, great. We will talk about. <laughs> um. Let's talk about. Let's talk about perfectionism. Okay. And what that looks like. Mm -hmm. And um, the 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 pluses and minuses and all that kind of stuff. And I don't know. I feel like there's pluses to it for sure. Maybe not. I don't well, know. Tell, I don't know what well, I'm tell, tell me. Tell me what your thoughts are on the. I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm not too familiar with the, the, the full wide scope of what perfectionism looks like. Mm -hmm. I think more about like the schooling aspect where it's like, it's probably creates a good student to like their, their, I don't like making sure that all the studying is done, making sure that all the books are read, making sure that the preparedness is there to show up because uh, I'm a perfectionist and I want all my T's. My eyes dotted and my T's what crossed. Is that what they say? Mm -hmm. um, but I am very much not in the perfectionist camp. <laughs> I am very much like, what do we need to get this thing done? And mm -hmm. am I happy with it? And is this thing, like, that's, that's kind of my struggle with filmmaking, I guess in general too, is you're never going to have the time really to get, the perfect shot or mm -hmm. or get the perfect take or whatever so it's kind of like are we good to move on okay mm -hmm. am i is that good enough everybody on the same page with can are you can you are you good okay you're good too yeah. no i can do better okay let's go again or that was perfect <laughs> directors say that a lot too it's a lie i'm just kidding um, <laughs> now we know <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, stuff is good <laughs> I I feel like with with perfectionism it's I differentiate it from like having really high standards or from like um being someone who's very motivated and driven to succeed um I differentiate it from like being someone who pursues excellence to me perfectionism is this sort of like there's a lot of shame attached to it because it's there's because there's no such thing as perfect we know it like that's like it doesn't exist but we feel compelled to be that so it leaves you in this perpetual state of not good enoughness so this okay, okay. constant state of like shame and worthlessness about yourself unless you can live up to this impossible standard is it so is it more of a internalistic uh journey versus how do, i think it translates into external because you know then like if well, I mean, it can, it can, it can transfer in two ways, right? Because so you can have the high, high, super high achieving, um, like golden child kind of, you know. So you can, by all intents and purposes, look like, well, that you're like, like the perfect student, daughter, whatever, anything, mm -hmm. you know, that like you're. So you can, you can often perform that way but underlying you just don't you know 
And then sometimes you can get to a point where you become like a discouraged perfectionist where you're just like, I know it's impossible and I feel so bad about myself that like I can't reach that. So I procrastinate or I just can't finish projects or I, because I'm so burdened by the pressures of it that I can, I know I cannot meet it. And so then I feel bad about myself. And what I found about perfectionist is that it's almost this like inability to tolerate mistakes, um, extreme high criticism of self, which sometimes then can also become like high criticism, like of others, you know, and it just becomes like this rigid way of being where like, you just, you can't, you basically can't tolerate your own humanness. Like you can't make mistakes and you can't fail Mm -hmm. and you Mm -hmm. can't, you know, like rejection is terrible. And, you know, like, so it can become like such a rigid thing that like it, it completely gets in your way, you know? Um, And other people can still look at you and see like, wow, you're like this stellar, like performer, um, high achiever, and I wish I could be like you, but then inside, it's like, you know, you're like, you know, like you struggle with all of this, like imposter syndrome. And because no matter how good people be, like think you are, you know, you, you haven't hit the mark of perfect, mm-hmm. you, right? Because you're aware of like where you fall short of that. And so... I think for me, when I talk about being like a recovering perfectionist and, and why it's so hard is because it's actually like being a perfectionist is something that society tends to see as like a positive thing. Like if you're going to have like a, a coping skill, like, and your coping skill is perfectionism, that looks great to society, right? Sure. And society will actually re- like positively reinforce that. Like, you know, like, well, we'll, we'll, we'll take that. We'll take you striving. We'll take you working mm-hmm. extra hard. We'll, we'll take like all of that because again, that looks good in a capitalist world. Right. Um, you're, you're producing. Yeah. And at the end of the day, yeah, you're, yeah, you're producing. Yeah. So that's kind of you're, all that matters in that, yeah. in that world. Yes, but then in the end, like a lot of perfectionists end up struggling a lot with depression because they don't. Yeah, the lack of self worth in yeah, there. They yeah, they don't see that about themselves, um, and they they haven't really cultivated then what their worth is, and maybe even what they want to do and who they are because they're so they're so fixated on like the performance. And yeah. I could see the comparison, mm-hmm. the comparison thing jumping in too, because mm-hmm. perfection, I feel like, is solely based off of what what is the most high achieving thing out there. What is perfect? Lo- what if if you're the only person in the world and you're stuck on the island? It's hard to with no social media mm-hmm. <laughs> account, mm-hmm. and you're a perfection, and you're perfectionist, or you're, it would be a lot easier of a world, I think, too, where it's like, well, there's no nothing to compare yeah, you to. Yeah, it's just it's fine. It's just me here. So, I'm, I think I'm doing all yeah, right. Yeah, I, I could see the external mm-hmm. the external factors mm-hmm. kind of just making it worse. Mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah, so that's the problem of it. <laughs> 
Okay. Um, and that's why I'm like constantly realizing, you know, so it, for me, it's, it's to recover from it is to allow for mistakes, allow for failures, allow for like my flaws and my weaknesses and accepting that I'm human Mm -hmm. and that I'm, you know, so that's, that's like my ongoing work all of the time. And so a lot of times, like, you know, I feel, and this is something that I wrote about in like my posts about perfectionism is feeling like I constantly needing, I'm constantly needing to hold myself together. So I always need to be put together. And then if I'm posting something, like I'm very carefully crafting it, you know? So it's like, I'm very aware of like how I'm, like I have a Mm -hmm. way of like how I want to come across to the world, right? Like how people want to perceive, like how I want people to perceive me. Um, And so then when, you know, if I need to break down or when I'm like not doing well, then I can have a lot of judgment towards myself. Um, But if like the practice of this year is okay i've there's actually been like a couple instances where i've had like oh an anxiety attack in front of other people or where i haven't been able to control um like my anxiety or i'm crying in front of people or i'm needing other people's help and um like that's just extremely extremely uncomfortable for me Mm -hmm. so if i can like but at the same time it feels so human you know, and that those instances have actually allowed for some like incredible moments of connection that I haven't allowed for myself before. So, you know, if we're, if we're tying it back all together with like connection and, and not feeling lonely, it's like, yes, if I'm trying to be perfect and I'm trying to constantly perform and I'm constantly trying to hold myself together, then I'm actually, you know, not giving myself those moments to truly have those human connections with people where I have to be vulnerable and and let people respond to that, you know, and even help me, you know, and take care of me in that moment. Like it's, it's incredibly uncomfortable, but. Yeah. Cause you have to, I could see it. Yeah. You have to be in in an, in an environment in which you are being accepted and there's the direct, uh, um, evidence that oh my flaws that i'm deeply self-conscious of are mm-hmm. currently being shown and everybody here is accepting of me regardless mm-hmm. like you like that that needs to be felt and yeah. probably felt regularly to kind of mm-hmm. come to have, have that hammered into this brain that yeah. it's like it's okay be yes, cool it's okay you're okay <laughs> like that's what it is everybody loves me it's cool <laughs> stop it no, that's exactly it. It's like, you're okay. You're okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, then. <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> Great. Well, I am going to wind us down. Okay. Um, I have enjoyed our conversation. Awesome. It's been great to see you. I only see you twice a year these days. <laughs> um. No, but very cool. So what, we I talked a little bit about 2022, but is there anything, I'll, I'll just, I'll just ask this basic question here. Where can people follow you to keep up with everything Hannah Wu so they can, they can be in the know on what's going on and uh, 
support like projects you're part of or if there's anything that that you've got cooking that you want to plug or whatever i don't know it's a thing um i would say probably instagram is still the best way to kind of keep up with what i'm doing in the day-to-day twitter is kind of like random thoughts that i'll just put out in the void and Mm -hmm. you know like that could be fun um, which could be fun yes but I'm a very wordy person, and so the character limitations on Twitter can sometimes be <laughs> a little um, challenging. But I enjoy Twitter a lot for like just connecting with people in the industry and um, supporting them. And then like probably Instagram is still the most self-promoting kind of thing. But I do try to throw in a lot of like hedgehogs and puppy videos. Yeah. To... And then just to clarify, that is at Hey Hannah Wu. Hey Hannah Wu. Great. And uh, next year, I am looking forward to getting my black belt in Wushu. That's going to happen. Ooh. It will happen. This That's the goal. Wow. And then um, one of my best friends is making a film that he, he's been co-writing for many years now. Just basically as long as I've known him. And I met him when I started acting, pretty much. Um, and I get to help him make his film. And that's yes, going to be I, fun. Yeah, I saw you post. Yeah, because you're currently attached just to act in this film, right? That's what... Or or is that the case? Or what's your connection? Yes. Yeah. Yes, currently. But I, I mean, haven't really talked about it too much yet. But um, yeah. But that's happening. It's going to happen. You want to see the name of the film or the the filmmaker? Well, we'll, we'll wait on that. You got to follow oh, me. You okay. got to follow me. Follow Hannah. Follow me to find out. <laughs> Great. Okay. Well, we shall end it there. Okay. Thanks so much for... Oh, I guess I should say the last things. Um, if you enjoy the conversation and you're a fan of the podcast, please subscribe. Give a thumbs up. Like, leave a like. like. I don't know. Ring the bell. I don't know. Whatever <laughs> you're on, that'd be helpful. Cool. Otherwise, bye. Boom, 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 boom.